Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and fan castings, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm motherfucking Joseph, yo. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, what a homie here. Look at this guy. He came straight out of 1993 <laughs> with that fucking comment. To be fair, Adam did tell me to say I'm motherfucking Joseph. So <laughs> I just threw in the yo. Sir, we're going to need you to stay on script, please. Yes, say on script. Whatever I tell you to say is what you should be saying. I will do that. I will do that. Okay. Joseph. Joseph of the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a.k.a. Marvelous Joe. We are very happy to have you back on the podcast. Uh, it's always a pleasure having you. And today we are talking some sweet, sweet Marvel properties with uh, Howard the Duck, the Spider-Man animated show from the 90s and we're going to do a recasting or a casting of the Sinister Six, the original Sinister Six of the Spider-Man franchise. But Joseph, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Plug anything. What's coming up? What you guys got going on? I know probably by the time this podcast comes out, your 100th episode will probably already be out. Very exciting. Give us the breakdown. Yeah, definitely. So I run a podcast with my twin brother, Jonathan, and it's called Dynamic Duel. And what we do is we pit Marvel characters versus DC characters. And we just talk about like who would win in a fight and we review films from both universes. Our 100th episode is coming up this December 2018. It'll probably land around the same time that this episode lands. And it's it's fortunate timing because actually our 101st episode is going to be a, a match where we pit Howard the Duck versus Detective Chimp. So this is a very timely episode nice. for you guys. So That's fantastic. I'd like to say it was all planned out, but it just worked out coincidentally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's going to be y'all's charity episode, is that correct? Yeah, we will be auctioning off original art that I had commissioned by an artist named Shannon V. Sapinter, and uh, all the proceeds go to a charity called Women Helping Women, uh, which is which is a great cause. So we'll be posting that uh, we'll be posting that auction up on eBay at around December on around December fourth. So be sure to look for that, and we'll have all the links uh, available up on our site and uh, maybe in the show notes for this episode, huh? Eh? Yeah, maybe. We're very lazy, and we don't really do show notes that much. But for, for this one, maybe we can do a link. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I have to say thank you very much, uh, Adam, for buying last year's uh, auctioned art uh, of a Crypto the Superdog and, uh, what was it, Frog Thor? Throg. Throg, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, one, I love you guys' podcast. I, I love comic books, um, but I also love the artist that you guys commissioned yeah. last year, Paul Heaston. He's actually a friend that we all kind of know from when we work together, but he is incredibly talented. And so I actually, I have them right above where I am recording right now. I can stare up at them and look at Throg and Crypto and it's awesome. Nice, nice. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to win them this time because I want, I want to be outbid. I want someone else out there to spend a fuck ton of money uh, to buy this year's uh, charity drawings. So hopefully they will. That would be great. So as I previously mentioned, today we are doing an all Marvel episode, and that is thanks in part to Marvelous Joe. A couple episodes ago, we had his twin brother, Johnny DC, as we reviewed the 1989 Tim Burton film, Batman, the TV show Swamp Thing, and did a casting of Justice League Dark. Just gonna straight up say there is a bit of a quality difference between Howard the Duck and 
the Batman movie. Right. Um, well, we'll get more into that. Because Marvel stuff is always way superior to DC stuff, right? Oh, yes, yes. That's exactly <laughs> it. Hey, so. you, you know what Batman doesn't have? Duck boobs. Oh, God. Oh, You're going to talk duck boobs. <laughs> lots and lots of duck boob talk. Duck tits. Oh, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... That movie came out, uh, Howard the Duck came out in 1986, but right before John gives us some facts, I want to call out, I've forgotten to mention a few reviews that we've gotten on iTunes recently, so we actually have a couple more recent ones, and I want to call them out because they're pretty fucking good. We had one by Joe is a common nickname, apparently, okay, that's... A good, that's a good name. Uh, the name of the review is Just Started Listening. And he said, Had the enjoyment of being introduced to this podcast while recording another one. Just listened to the first episode and am definitely going to be binging it. As an 80s kid, this is definitely going to be a blast. A blast from our past. Uh, he didn't uh. add that last part, but <laughs> uh, I said that. But I met Joe. I'm, I'm quite certain this is the same Joe. I met him while I was recording an episode of Trivial Warfare, which is a much bigger and much better podcast. Well, not better, uh, but it's a much bigger podcast than either of ours. They are awesome. I listen to them every week. They do trivia. It's like a pub trivia style podcast. They are quite big compared to us all because they have 400 patrons. Whoa. They have more patrons paying for their podcast than John and I have listening to our podcast at all. So that's pretty impressive. It's about quality, not quantity, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Um, and we have one other review by Bundes Will that was entitled Genius Content Format and Style. I like that. I like the name of that review. And he says, this is my favorite podcast. I love thinking about the movies, shows, and games from the 80s and 90s and talking about them with my buddies. This show makes you feel like you are sitting in a suburban basement with John and Adam. In that basement, you are surrounded by VHS tapes, D&D rulebooks, board games and action figures, wires from several video game controllers snake across the floor, the computer in the corner has at best 486 processor encased in an oversized beige box, the TV is a CRT resting on a bookshelf, and you've got your beers on a coffee table that houses a broken projector unit. You're not drunk, but you're buzzed and loving life, laughing with your buddies about mounting lasers on dinosaurs. <laughs> That is maybe my favorite review of all time in the history of reviews. <laughs> it's a good one. That kind of like sets me back into our basement, John, uh, when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right, except for the uh, constant flooding. Yeah, yeah, our basement. Uh, <laughs> we had that, that fucking basement flooded all the time. And then because of that, it would have like mold and it would smell. Uh, <laughs> but it was, I still liked it. Yeah. That's, that's, where, that's where we had our video games down there. It was great. Where's my shout out for my so, review, man? Yeah. I wrote a review. <laughs> oh, we can't. You, Jgar123, you were the very first review we had. Oh. And it was uh, Love the Nostalgic Geek Angle. This was from August of two, 2017. Yeah. This is a fantastic podcast. The hosts have a great dynamic, and I love their perspective on the pop culture I enjoyed as a child. Well, that was so nice of you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. As long as I get, you know, acknowledged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Of course, you you have to, you know, as you acknowledge us, we're going to acknowledge you back and it'll just be like a, a circle jerk of acknowledgement awesome. for sure. Awesome. So 1986, what happened in 1986? Joseph, were you born in 1986? I was born in 1986, yes. Uh, that's a pretty fucking good year uh, <laughs> because we got another good Marvel fan. We also got a shitty DC fan <laughs> in J Johnny DC, but we I love to shit <laughs> 
on Jonathan <laughs> is just the best. And I hope he listens to it. Uh, but he takes it. He takes it a good stride. So uh, anyway, we have a fantastic year, John. Tell us more about it. In 1986, popular music. Not much to write home about. The Billboard Top 100 single for that year was That's What Friends Are For by Dion and Friends. Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me. For sure, that's what friends are Oscar for Best Picture that year went to Oliver Stone's Platoon, which is a really good film. It kind of did a lot for a specific piece of classical music called Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber, uh, because it is all over that film. I recently watched Platoon, maybe about a year or so ago, and it is intense, very intense film, but good. Just a couple of weird things that happened in 1986. A little five-year-old boy named LaVon Merritt fell into a gorilla enclosure at the Durrell Wildlife Park, and a gorilla named Jambo stood guard over him while he was unconscious and kept the other gorillas away. Way to go, Jambo. You're a hero. That's sweet. <laughs> Remember just recently, maybe it was like last year, another kid fell into a gorilla. Yeah, and the gorilla like drug the damn kid around. I think the kid was fine, so that's fine. But yes. don't don't jump into gorilla pits, you stupid ass kids. <laughs> <laughs> and in September of that year, an episode of uh, Late Night with David Letterman was aired as a rerun. And I think the original was from February. But in this rerun, they overdubbed all the voices with voices from the cartoon Speed Racer. I've never heard of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> they just reran the episode and the, and the voice cast from Speed Racer just overdubbed the whole episode. Okay. I've got to look that up. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. And there you go. There's 1986. Well, thank you, John, for that insight into 1986. And now let's get ducking into Howard the Duck. That, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Howard the Duck from 1986. This uh, the most shocking thing about this film is that it's rated PG and yeah. <laughs> it definitely doesn't seem uh, like it should be rated PG. And also that it runs a fucking staggering one hour and fifty minutes, and that is just way too fucking long for this film. I wanted that time back. <laughs> yes. Oh God, yes. Uh, it's directed by Willard Hoyk Hayuk. I don't know. H-U-Y-C-K. He really hasn't directed much else. And probably because I think he got blacklisted after this film because this was his last directing credit. (laughs) So he really didn't do much after this one. Uh, But he is actually a pretty well-known writer because he wrote American Graffiti. uh, And also he wrote the screenplay for Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. So some other projects that George Lucas obviously worked on. Uh, so they had a good dynamic together on that. But yeah, but this this is the one that killed him. The <laughs> Howard the Duck killed Willard Yuck. This one almost killed uh, George Lucas, actually. He banked this movie on being a blockbuster because he was in debt because he had just built Skywalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I actually mentioned in the last episode we talked about 1986, when we talked about uh, Big Trouble in Little China, the profit netted under $1 million. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I believe correctly, the only thing that saved George Lucas was Steve Jobs bought, I forget what it was he bought, but he bought something from IL, of ILM from George Lucas and what he bought eventually turned into Pixar. Yeah, so this movie, by not being a blockbuster, forced George Lucas to sell something to Steve Jobs, which became Pixar. So this movie is directly involved with us getting Pixar. So that if there's anything about this film... That's pretty goddamn impressive. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, yes, obviously, as we mentioned, it's executive produced by George Lucas. So Howard the Duck was a big beacon of what was to come. We should, People should have looked at Howard the Duck and seen, oh, that's probably how George is going to make the prequel movies from Star Wars. <laughs> but no, they were too excited for it. But whatever. Well, and to, but to be fair to George, George didn't write it. No, he didn't. And he didn't write it. He didn't direct it. He just produced it. Yeah, but you're. It's, but that's still your movie. If you're the producer, you own it, and it's your property. So you have to take the blame. Right. The, it's the producers that get the actual Oscar for the best picture. Right. It's not the director or anybody else. Right. It's their movie. So that means they should be getting the blame. And so I'm blaming him. Okay. So he gets the Razzie for this movie. Yeah, exactly. He he would get the Razzie. I believe he did get a Razzie for this movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah, I think I do believe. Remember, I remember seeing that this film uh, was at least nominated. If not, it won like four Razzies. Yeah. So that's pretty pretty shitty. Did you guys see this movie as kids? Uh, I did once. And I have a confession that I actually never saw this film. This is my first time seeing this oh, film. Oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, this was my, like, I've only seen clips, so I saw, like, a clip here or a clip Uh there of people, like, making fun of it, but about two days ago was the very first time I've ever seen the full Howard the Duck film. Oh, so this is probably, like, way worse for you then, because there was not even that nostalgic appeal. (laughs) No, I got nothing. (laughs) I was shocked, because, (laughs) I'm not, I guess I won't wait, (laughs) wait to say this, but... I, you know, you're always told, oh, this is such a bad movie, such a bad movie. But then it kind of also got a little bit of like a cult status or a little bit like, right? I don't know, just some people like go out and enjoy the film, I, I think. Or maybe they enjoy it because it's so bad. And so I was assuming I was going to find some of that as an adult because I love other films like that. I love like Rocky Horror Picture Show, which has you know, some of that bad quality. I love The Room, which is all about that kind of shitty quality that you <laughs> like it. It's so bad you like it. And so I thought there was going to be, oh, it's not as bad as people say. It's going to have some some actual quality to it. And fuck no. This was a disaster. <laughs> I was shocked at how shitty it was. Yeah, it's 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 really bad. I, I do, like, it does have some charm to it, you know, I, I, and I think Leah Thompson is great. I think she tried her best and stuff like Love that. Love her. But she's probably the only good thing about this movie, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just very, I was very, very surprised by Howard the Duck. So the film was, the music was done by John Barry, who... Normally, John Barry has done some pretty good films. He's done quite a few Bond films. He also did the movie Dances with Wolves, who actually, I, which I really like the score from yeah. Dances with mm-hmm. Wolves. The score in this movie is fucking awful. It makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> like they're playing like upbeat, silly music when like Howard's having like a difficult time, or it's supposed to be dramatic or something like that. That it just. I feel none of it made any fucking sense with the film. Yeah, I think tonally the film is all over the place. And I think the score has a big part in that because, Mm -hmm. you know, at at some points it's purposefully cheesy. It's purposefully tongue in cheek. Yeah. And at some points you think that it's trying to be serious. It's never really serious. Well, if you look in the opening credits, it says that all the original songs written for this movie were written by Thomas Dolby. Thomas Dolby wrote the song She Blinded Me With Science. 
He's got like a co- comedic kind of singer. Well, here's the thing. I, it's not intended to be a comedic song. No, I guess so. But it kind of, well, I mean, now I think it is, but that's because it's got the shade of the 80s over it. Yeah. I really think they were probably trying to keep to that style. They probably told John Barry, I'm just guessing here, but they probably told him, just keep to the same style as, as Thomas Dolby's stuff, which other than that one song, his stuff is all over the place. I think John Barry actually didn't do any real work and he just <laughs> had some old shit laying around. and was like, I'll just use this for the fucking film. <laughs> Because uh, it didn't it didn't make any sense. Yeah, I'd believe that. The voice cast, Howard the Duck is voiced by a guy, Chip Zien, Chip Zien. He has done some smaller parts, but really nothing I remember him from. So he's not someone, not, not like a big star, which doesn't make sense to me. I feel like they should have used like a different kind of voice actor or someone more of like a more recognizable voice. I mean, but I guess at this time for voice actors, you didn't really use stars as the voices for animated characters or, um, you know, animatronic characters. Like, it was really Robin Williams from the Aladdin movie that really started that boom. Yeah. Why? 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. This film also stars Tim Robbins, which, as I mentioned, this was my first time saying I was fucking floored to see (laughs) Tim Robbins in this film. Our Shawshank Redemption episode is already out, and we know how much I fucking love that film. And Tim Robbins is amazing in that one. And in this movie, (laughs) holy shit, that's a whole different Tim Robbins. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be, like, crazy or if he was just eccentric. His performance was just flat out weird. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, Yeah, it was. We also have uh, Jeffrey Jones, uh, who plays Dr. Jenning. Uh, Jeffrey Jones is uh, a diddler, um, and he, I have to mention it every time because it's it's true. Uh, but he was also in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as the the principal, and he was also in Beetlejuice as one of the the Dietzes. So, uh, and then obviously this film also stars him, and really the main star is Leah Thompson, who plays Beverly Switzer. Uh, she's probably most famous for playing Marty McFly's mother in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And that was around the same time as this, right? Yeah, I think that came out uh, right before this one. Yeah, uh, Back to the Future was 85. And I remember reading that Leah Thompson was shocked by the flop of this film as to how bad it did in the the reception because... You know, she just came off Back to the Future. And so she's like, oh, man, this is going to keep going. I'm going to be a big, big star and everything's going good. <laughs> and then, boom, Howard the Duck came in and squashed that dream a little bit. Of course, she she bounced back later uh, and, and has done plenty of good stuff. But... Did she really like what did she do after this besides like the Caroline in the City TV show? I'm trying to think. There was a, um, a John Hughes movie that she was in. I think it's called uh, Some Kind of Wonderful. Um, she was pretty big in that. She was in All the Right Moves, but that was before either this or Back to the Future. So really nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, Caroline in the City, fucking, that was a show. <laughs> that was a show that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. But Leah Thompson, she's she is one of my biggest 80s crushes. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, very highly from from the Back to the Future film. I think she, I just think her in the 80s is she's fucking adorable. She is so cute, yeah. and I just yeah, she's definitely. If I could go back in time and like try to marry one 80s person it would be leah thompson from the 80s like it's that's she's she's like my number one for 80s human crushes <laughs> that sounded weird all right joseph what's yours my 80s crush yeah oh god uh that's a good question because 
I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I, I would probably go to Leah Thompson, but I don't know. I was I was fucking zero years old in 1986. So. <laughs> well, I mean, me too. I didn't. She, she didn't give me like a boner when I was younger. I'm saying an adult Adam who goes back and watches Back to the Future or Howard the Duck. I'm just like, damn, Leah Thompson was like super oh, cute and and I just yeah. I know who it is. It's uh, Jennifer Connelly from mm-hmm. Labyrinth. Oh, that's oh, a good okay. choice. Jennifer Connelly is a. I mean, she is yeah. Fantastic choice there. Thank, thank you. Right. What about you, John? Uh, it'd probably be Elizabeth Shue from The Karate Kid. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, God. okay. Yeah, she's hot. And all those, all three of those actresses have really aged pretty well through the years. They yeah. all still really yeah. look good. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's let's get our testosterone. We're done talking about girls for a minute. Let's hide your boners and let's actually get into the film. I'm tucked. Yeah. So we open on a city, and we get some very kind of noir-esque music going on. We see Howard at home, and we're seeing just a lot of, like, duck things happening. Uh, We get a whole bunch of, like, pop culture stuff, but it's been duckified, if you will. That bit is kind of funny. We're getting a whole bunch of little things, like Howard checks out this Play Duck magazine (laughs) instead of Playboy. And we actually get to see a nude duck, a a nude female (laughs) duck in it. Yeah, the uh, centerfold, is... I was I forgot that they actually showed the centerfold in the movie. I was thinking, I was like, oh, was this the duck tits part? But like right after that, <laughs> yeah, this yes. one the duck tits part. So we get we get a couple different. We saw duck tits there just on on the page, uh, and then pretty much as Howard's about to to start spanking the one eyed oh god Willie Duck or whatever the hell it is, uh, there's <laughs> the like, almost like this earth the one eyed mallard. There you go, the one eyed mallard. <laughs> Uh, he, he gets like, it's, it feels like an earthquake and he is just gets starting to get pulled in his chair. Like him in his, uh, like lazy boy, uh, probably his lazy duck uh, is getting pulled into a chair, just being thrown through walls. And that's when we see this lady who is bathing and just her duck boobs are out on display. Perky as hell. Uh, they're just. It is, it was... It's awkward. It was disturbing. It was, it did not... Yeah, very awkward. And how the hell that would be... I know it's just a puppet, but, like, that's obviously sexual content. And how the <laughs> hell was that that not, like, a flag? For at least a PG-13 rating or something that you would think. Well, there was no PG-13 at that time. Oh, was this before Raiders or Temple of Doom, right, was the first PG-13? Yeah, Temple of Doom and Gremlins both uh, were big things gotcha. in getting the PG-13 rating. <laughs> Editor Adam cutting in. I just wanted to give some correct information here. Uh, we were a little bit off. PG-13 was actually a rating at the time this movie came out. As we did mention, yes, Temple of Doom and Gremlins played a big part in bringing in the PG-13 rating. Both of those movies came out in 1984. The first film that had PG-13 was Red Dawn that also came out in 1984. So PG-13 totally was a rating at this time, 1986, so it makes no fucking sense why this film was not PG-13. The image of those duck breasts, it's it's stuck without it's stuck with me throughout these years. Like occasionally, yeah. like once a year or so, it'll still come flashing back into my head. Like, you know, I'll be laying in bed, I'll be laying in bed trying to fall asleep, trying to clear my mind, and then all of a sudden just duck tits pops yeah. into my brain. And I'm like, why brain? Why? Why has it stuck with me all yeah. this time? It's so horrible. There's not much of the movie that I had seen before, but I had seen the duck boobs. And so I was glad that it was over with quickly, you know, within like the first five minutes. Yeah. Wait, wait, um, wait, but... wait. 
how have you not seen the movie, but you've seen this scene? Like, what what were you searching for? Like, what happened? <laughs> I want to know the story. I, I don't want to explain, but I've just I've seen things, okay? <laughs> and and I'm just saying the duck boobs were happened to be something that I saw. Someone showed it to me or something. I don't remember, okay. but I've seen those. I saw that exact. Maybe it was just a picture, but it was something. <laughs> All right. I don't know, but at at the same time, I also want to mention. There was no fucking reason to even have the boobs there. Like it added nothing to the story. Well, right. like yeah, it, 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 a lot of the sexuality in this movie is gratuitous. It's it's yeah. strange watching it nowadays. Uh, there's just so much about the story in general. It has no reason to it. It has like there's no setup. It's just like all right, this happens now. Oh, okay. Uh, and also, it made no fucking sense about Howard is going through. He, so he's being pulled through like this dimensional portal, but it's really like no fucking reason that it's him. It really makes no fucking sense. I guess it's just it just happens to be happenstance. It's fucking awful. Well, that's how it was in the comics. It was just seemingly random. Mm. Um, he, okay. he was just the victim of bad luck, basically. But you're right. There's absolutely no character set up. Except for the fact that we find out that he's, you know, just like a regular guy. And, you know, when yeah. he's put in danger later, we don't have any real reason to root for him, I don't think. Or even, he's he's not endearing, I guess. No, he's not. He's, he's immediately creepy yeah. uh, as well, like right away. <laughs> yeah. And so he's not like someone, yeah, I, I don't want to root for him. But we get uh, like a little, like a narrator and like this title card. In the beginning there was Howard the Duck. Uh, and so we kind of find out how Howard is sent to regular Earth, to Earth 616, and he runs into some punks right away. So, like, these punks are just kind of, like, chasing him around. It's kind of a weird scene. Like, people are surprised that he's this weird-talking duck, but also, like, not nearly as surprised as, <laughs> as I would imagine. It was, like, a weird moment in the 80s where style was kind of, like, all over the place, right? So maybe they just figured he was yeah. in the I don't know. And they were in Cleveland, so. Yeah, it's a, that's a weird-ass <laughs> place. So he, he ends up getting into, like, he's, he's into this nightclub, and we see Leah Thompson there, and she's uh, the lead singer for this band. The band's called Cherry Bomb, which is a really, I like the name. It's a good name for it. It sounds like a very 80s all-girl rocker band. I think it's a reference to The Runaways, right? Yeah, probably. Oh, that would make, that would totally make sense. I didn't think about that, but yes, I think you're probably <laughs> right. Uh, I do want to say the first song that they're singing and that they're playing, I actually kind of liked that song. It was good. Yeah. yeah. Not all the music in this film is good. That's for damn sure. Not all, like, even the Cherry Bomb songs. But for some reason, like, that first one I was pretty happy with. I would say that I liked all of the Cherry Bomb songs, except for the Howard the Duck one. I thought that was just a little bit too poppy. Yeah, the, yeah, the one at the end. That's, <laughs> the yeah. other ones, I actually found myself, I actually went onto iTunes and, and did a Google search for Howard the Duck, you know, soundtrack, and was disappointed <laughs> to find that it wasn't there. But I did look for the music. I liked it that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those the Cherry Bomb songs were the best, and those were probably the ones that uh, Thomas Dolby worked on mm -hmm. that right. you mentioned, John. Yeah. So... That makes sense. Uh, and Leah Thompson's voice wasn't half bad either, because I think that was that was actually her singing. Yeah, it was. So it's pretty solid. She apparently, uh, she still has the guitar that she used in the movie. <laughs> nice. I like her style in this movie. I mean, they're a hair band. It's a, it's a, but like her crazy hair, I think it looks pretty good on her, actually. I'm not, I was never a huge fan of 80s hair. 
It's just too wild. Yeah. yeah. But she yeah. makes it work, I think. Her and her and her bandmates, yeah. I think they look pretty cool. If they if they redid it today, I wonder if instead of like Cherry Bomb, if they would try to incorporate her being like Gem and the holograms or something, or or <laughs> or, or some other like maybe she'd be Dazzler or some shit from Marvel or something like yeah. that. Uh, and trying to like make some sense. Well, Beverly wasn't. She was in the comics too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quasi girlfriend character. Yes. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. That just gets that elevates quickly. <laughs> so I I, uh, I forgot to mention this at the top, but speak kind of speaking of Marvel, this is the official first Marvel movie. Yeah. Obviously not not put out by Marvel Studios, but the first theatrical release that involved mm-hmm. Marvel. However, this is not the first movie that has a Marvel character in it. Oh, that's a bit uh, that's a good bit of trivia. In 1944, mm. there was a serial movie which was you had to go like every week to see a different chapter of the movie. This was before television. There was a Captain America movie. This was way back when they were known as Timely Comics. Right. This was before they became Marvel. But there is you can actually see the entire movie on YouTube. Yeah, it was a black and white film and he had a gun instead of a shield if I remember correctly and that he never carried a shield. It was weird. But the costume, yeah. the costume is pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, faithful costume adaptation not faithful shield adaptation i don't think it holds up that well i never tried watching i I see i saw like a few scenes of it but i I still consider howard the duck to be the first marvel film it is the first true marvel movie for sure so as howard is having his troubles he ends up passing out in an oil can and beverly leaves the club some punks jumper I guess they, they, they're they like real big fans and in a creepy way, they start to like jump her and pressure her. But Howard wakes up and he defends her honor and he uses his quack foo to beat oh them up. God, so bad. Yeah, it looked, oh. <laughs> I know Quack Fu is a joke, like in the comics, and like it's a it's a whole thing. But I imagine I've actually never re- read any Howard the Duck comics either. So can he actually beat people up? Like, is he is he a good fighter with that quote unquote Quack Fu? Yeah, he's he's a pretty adept hand to hand fighter. Okay. Yeah, it's I've only read a few Howard the Duck comics myself, mm-hmm. and they're just so off the wall. And I, I think one of the issues that I read that I read was so steeped in just like weird continuity that I really wasn't understanding any of it because I didn't get any of the references. Okay. He, he's kind of has his own little corner of like the Marvel Universe, you know, because nothing else happens in Cleveland. And that's where he's, he's yeah, yeah. based. So. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. His own cast of characters, his own yeah supporting cast. It's, it's weird. OK, but yeah, so the fighting looked really atrocious. I, I don't know if it was like a kid or a little person that they put into the duck suit, but like it just in general, things did not go well with how with how it looked like when they and they would have times where they would cut back and forth between, you know, like a full shot where it looked OK. And then when they needed to get some bigger reactions on the faces, they would do a punch in and it was obviously like a robotic puppet, but it would look just different enough. That like those cuts in between the wider like full full mm-hmm. body view and then like the tighter ones like the duck it, it didn't the suits didn't match no. and so it always looked weird to me I don't know if you guys noticed well, that well there's so there's one person who did the majority of the suit work which was a guy named Ed Gale he's the only one who was credited in the beginning of the film mm. but there were seven people who did suit work in this movie what did you guys think of the uh, the facial effects and everything the animatronics oddly enough I thought it was a lot more expressive than I thought it was going to be yeah I remember him being yeah. a lot more uh a lot more wooden and i, I was actually surprised yeah. how how uh, expressive he was yeah to me i agree it wasn't the problem wasn't with the puppet or the animatronics all that much other than when you're trying to do like a big like a fight scene or something i didn't like the voice acting all that much i don't think the guy that they got sounded 
like how I would imagine a Howard the Duck character would sound. I don't know. I would just it, it just see he should have been a little bit more gruff. I don't know. I didn't have too much of a problem with it. And that may be because I saw the film at such an early age that it's always just kind of even when I read the comics, that's kind of the voice that I, that I read it in. OK. What do you think of Seth Green voicing the Howard the Duck cameos in the Guardians movies? I'm about as indifferent to those Howard the Duck cameos as a person could be. Okay. <laughs> they don't do much for me. I think it's, he's fine. I fucking love him. Okay. I yeah. love those cameos. <laughs> I really want a Howard the Duck solo film with Seth Green doing the voice because I, I, I like his voice that he, that he chose. It's a little bit more gruff. It's on the gruff side, wouldn't you say? He, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seth Green. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's my, that was my Seth Green impression. I don't know if it sounded like That's, He has that kind of like chuckly laugh. <laughs> yeah yeah kind of <laughs> anyway back to the film <laughs> beverly and howard the duck end up talking and he just kind of we he has no idea where he is and they're about to go their separate ways and we're getting like this awful song in the background two friends such a lot to Awful is going to be a word I can't I can't not use like every damn scene. I wish I could have seen this movie with you just so that yeah. I could just like keep looking over at your expression because I think that would have been more entertaining. It would have been more entertaining than the movie itself, I think. Yeah, it's it's really hard to explain it like going back because my brain didn't really retain much from this film because I was zoning out all the time. Like I've, I wrote less notes about this film than I think any other film that we've done just because I was just like staring and just being like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I love it. I was going to watch this film a few days ago, actually. And I had some friends over and I told him that I had to review this film. And uh, my buddy's name is Sean. And he was like, oh, I've never seen that film. Maybe we should watch it. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that to you. Like, he was like, no, I heard it was really bad. I'm like, yeah, but it's bad in like the really bad way. And like the yeah. <laughs> the zoning out kind of way. Not the like, so bad it's funny way. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. But Beverly, uh, with her sweetheart, uh, she lets Howard go home with her. While they're there... A truck goes by and Howard gets like this weird PTSD moment that, you know, he kind of flashes back to when he was pulled uh, to the other dimension. Howard, it's okay. I just thought that was kind of a, a weird little unnecessary scene, but because that doesn't ever, I guess it doesn't really come back, but it's just kind of strange. Yeah, it never happens to him again. Yeah. Yeah, and so like he, nothing. Yeah, he doesn't get anything else with like the the PTSD from it, but but he's just yeah. We know he's scared about something. It's because Leah Thompson is so good at just like consoling people with yeah with her voice. <laughs> yeah, so he falls asleep, and she, yeah, she goes through his wallet at this point, uh, and she sees she sees random like duck stuff, and then she sees a fucking duck condom, and she's like, oh Howard, <laughs> oh Howard, yeah, exactly. It's not like holy. It wasn't even in the wrapper. I was going to ask, no. <laughs> I was watching this movie with my wife and she kind of like chuckled when that happened. I looked at her and I was like, who keeps a condom out of the wrapper? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to like dry them out and so that they would like break and they wouldn't even work. Right. You know, sort of, okay. All right. So I know this random trivia about ducks. Oh yeah. I know. I know. I know exactly the same thing you're going to say. Should I not bring it I up? Think. No, no. Let's bring it up. Okay. Talking about getting it up. <laughs> They have corkscrew penises. Yes. So that's that's the one thing I know as well. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, if, if she, like, if if you were to use that, it would be 
really fucking difficult to put it on, especially if it's made out of that, you know, the the, the latex. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be impossible to put on. <laughs> it would be very difficult. John, uh, do you have anything to say about uh, duck corkscrew penises? No. Liar. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, everyone's got, I know you've got something to say about it, but whatever. <laughs> the next day, they go to see Beverly's friend, Phil, played by Tim Robbins, who he is weird as shit. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's he's very eccentric. The way you put it, I'm not sure if he was trying to play, he was obviously trying to play strange, but was he also trying to play like mentally incapacitated a little bit or something else with that guy? He was just, he was off. And was he was he actually a scientist or was he the janitor? Because I couldn't really he tell. He was a lab assistant. The la- he was a that's right. He was a lab yeah. assistant. Uh, he was kind of going for like this mad scientist kind of vibe, but I think he was just more mad than anything because he didn't really do anything too scientific in this movie. Exactly. As a lab assistant, yeah, you have to like you still have to earn your keep, and you're not you're not smart enough to become crazy. <laughs> and he was already there. It, it was weird because he was comparing Howard the Duck to Superman, and he was like, "It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a." duck yeah. <laughs> but i'm like ducks are birds man what's happening <laughs> he like tried to get him to bend st- a steel bar and everything i didn't get all the superman references like yes. why do you see a duck and automatically assume superpowers right yeah he immediately went there he just saw a walking talking duck and thought that he was going to be shooting laser eyes <laughs> and being super strong but but he kind of we go through the evol- uh, evolutionary chart with him where he theorizes that on Howard's planet, they were evolved from Neanderthal ducks, uh, as opposed to like we were evolved from monkeys or chimps or whatever. And I know not monkeys, it's apes, but same thing. Yeah. Uh, the, they end up leaving. Howard is pretty pissed off just in general because they're not really getting anywhere. Um, and he here's where he tells Beverly to like leave, and he's just he's he, he's not having a good time right now. And I gotta mention, as much as I did say I really do like Leah Thompson. And she is adorable. This movie is not her best acting performance by any means. It's no one's. No. (laughs) I did like this scene because uh, he kept calling them hairless apes after the whole theory of evolution part with the ducks. And that he says that a lot in the comics. But there was another comic reference here where she she's like, I understand you're upset. You're trapped in a world that you never made. And one of the criticisms against the character of Howard the Duck and his comics is that the tagline for the comic was always trapped in a world he never made. And everybody is always like... Like, well, who of us is in a world that they made, right? <laughs> but uh, one interesting note about that is that it's actually, I, I looked it up and it's actually based off of a poem by a poet named Alfred Edward. The poem is called The Laws of God and it basically goes, And how am I to face the odds of man's bedevilment and God's? I, a stranger and afraid in a world I never made. So that's where that comes from. It's not that interesting a bit of trivia, but uh, for everybody who always like questions the the tagline of the comic, and I actually think it was the tagline of this film, that that's its origin, basically. It, it's as ambiguous as anything else related to Howard the Duck. <laughs> I was just going to let you keep going. That was the most intellectual <laughs> thing we've ever had on this podcast. We've never brought up random poetry. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. The more you know. So Howard is determined he's to, to make it in this world and he decides to go get a job and he gets a job in like this bathhouse. That was really fucking weird. Oh, yeah, yes. I don't remember that from uh, as a kid. I never remember that scene. I remember the part where he tried to bite that lady's ass and I wasn't sure why because yeah. that's not something ducks do. <laughs> yes. I don't think they don't really have teeth. I, what was? I think he was I think he was mad at her for something and so he wanted to bite her. It was the lady who was going to place him at a job. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah, he was not happy about her with her. She was talking about how it doesn't matter how weird he is. She yeah, I think she yeah. just assumed it was a guy in a suit. It didn't matter how weird he was, she was going to get him a job. <laughs> 
And I guess he got a job as a water expert at the bathhouse. It was the world's yes. creepiest bathhouse. But like <laughs> he even admitted during that scene that he can't swim. So I'm, I'm not sure how he got the job of water expert. I mean, on looks alone, yeah. being a duck on your resume is all you need. <laughs> the That doesn't last very long because he ends up quitting the job. And uh, just in general, Howard is having a hard time. Um, he ends up finding the old same club that Cherry Bomb is still playing. He ends up overhearing the girl's manager, uh, that the manager is being an asshole. His, his, in one of the talks with Leah Thompson, she had kind of given him some context that this manager had never really paid them, that he's a, he's a dick. And so Howard actually starting to be a little heroic. This is probably his first sign of like showing some other, other than the time that he protected Beverly, uh, that he's showing some signs of heroism where he wants to get the girls their money and that the manager owes them. And so he, you know, has to shake down the manager uh, and he does end up getting the money. It was rough. I don't know. <laughs> like the, the interactions, like anytime he's trying to act tough or any of that kind of stuff, not very believable. But I know that's part of the humor of the, sh- of the whole thing, but I don't know. This is not a movie I got, man. I don't know if I'm the right person to even be talking about it because <laughs> I've got no nostalgia for it. And it was, uh, it just comes across as so fucking weird. There's no real action in this movie. It's never believable that he could ever yeah. win in a fight. You know, just kick him in the head, you know, and he'll, he'll be down for the count. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can punt him. He's a duck. He's a duck. He's, he's three feet tall. It's not believable yeah. at all. But I, I find myself going back and watching a lot of movies that I loved as a kid from the 80s. And they just didn't really have a good grasp, I think, of small people fighting larger people. Because I remember watching, like, mm-hmm. uh, what was it? Uh, the First Night with the kid from Rookie of the Year. Or Kid Night or something like that. A kid a kid in King Arthur's Court, I think. is that Kid in King Arthur's Court. And yeah, he was beating the shit out of a bunch of knights by kicking them in the yeah. head and stuff. like. I, I don't know. It just... It kind of just falls in line with all the other fight scenes around that era for kids' movies. So I didn't have too hard of a time with it. Plus, the guy threatened him with an ice pick, which I don't know if that was like a reference to, was it Basic Instinct, in which Sharon Stone was killing guys with ice picks? Uh, I'm pretty sure Basic Instinct came after this. Oh, did it? Oh, Basic Instinct totally ripped off Howard the Duck then. (laughs) Yeah, Basic Instinct was 92. What? Really? Oh, I I thought that was an 80s movie for some reason. Nope. Interesting. I did like the part right before he goes into the club where he's watching TV and they're talking about uh, duck hunting season is now open. (laughs) I got a slight chuckle out of that. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of those little just, yeah, duck out of of this world kind of thing that it is (laughs) humorous-esque. I can see they're trying to, what they're trying to do. It's a literal duck out of water story. Yes. Hey-o. There you go. The puns. (laughs) So Howard goes and sees... The girls uh, in their dressing room after the show, for some inexplicable reason, Phil is also there. Tim Robbins just being weird. Like I, For some reason, what I think Tim Robbins did was he tried to channel his inner Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters a little bit. Huh. And he went a little too hard on this one. That's a, that's an apt description. And, uh, that's an, an apt comparison, I think. Yeah. yeah, they're pretty similar. He's just so fucking crazy. He is. Uh, and here at this point, he steals a feather from Howard who was very upset and felt very degraded that he got a feather taken from his ass, uh, which was... In um, that scene in particular, Tim Robbins, I I swear he was on drugs or something like that, or his (laughs) character was on drugs. He was particularly nuts. At that like one. I think it was like it, he was like on bath salts. Like I thought he was legitimately like trying <laughs> to kill Howard for a second there. At that point, I thought Tim Robbins was going to end up being the villain of the movie just because how fucking crazy he was being. I was just like, oh shit, he's just going to get crazier and crazier. Uh, and that wasn't the case. I mean, he just he stayed crazy, but he was not the villain. And I, we still haven't really set up anything about the villain at this point. And 
it just didn't didn't make sense to me. It felt like it had to be Tim Robbins, but not not the route they went. No, yeah, his eyes were like gonna pop out of his head. I swear to God. Yes. So we cut over to Beverly's place, and Howard is playing some really shitty music on her keyboard. <laughs> And just in general, this whole scene is where we're getting some creepy shit between Beverly and Howard. And I know that's a big part of like the Howard, the Howard the Duck comic and whatnot, him being kind of vulgar, him being kind of creepy, creeping on women. And the ladies loving him. Which is uh, definitely true. She, Beverly just like kind of like falls for him right away. And like, she's like in her underwear and she's looking good. Uh, Leah Thompson's looking good, but it's just it just does not work no. <laughs> with her kind of hitting on this duck. It's so gratuitous and so awkward. Yeah, it is. And here's the thing that also kind of bothered me uh, that I think hurt Howard as a hero, because in his previous dimension, I'm quite certain I remember him saying something about him having a girlfriend or a wife. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, he had the note from that girl who was on vacation and wishing that he he was there with him. But he also got a a phone call message from another person who wasn't on vacation asking him to go over that night. So I think he was a little bit of a player. Oh, okay. For some reason, I didn't connect the two. uh, And I just I thought maybe I thought it was the same person or something. And so I was just like, oh, he's got he's in a loving relationship. And so why I'm not going to root for him and Beverly to fuck. (laughs) Because I thought he wanted to go back to this person. But he's so he's just a yeah, he's a creepy dick who uh, was he's taking his corkscrew dick and sending it all around as many women or ducks that he can. It sounds like. Yeah. All right. That makes that makes a little bit more sense. And that I get I get I'm getting that now. (laughs) I mean, because otherwise you would have been like if he wasn't tied down, you would have been totally for, you know, him, him and Beverly hugging up. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have been all for it. But Phil, again, being a a creepy asshole that he is, uh, he just goes into Beverly's apartment, I guess because the door was open. But she starts undressing and getting into her underwear without shutting her apartment door. She's not the brightest bulb, Mm. that's for damn sure. So it's Phil and these other like scientists are kind of coming in and we get Jeffrey Jones here, uh, Dr. Jenning. And I think they're they're all explaining how Howard got here and they're going to devise a plan that there's this big laser thing that basically I, I didn't really get much of the science set up. <laughs> they're just they had some big laser that shot out into the universe and it ended up, I guess, randomly pulling him, which also makes that probably pisses me off the most in that it randomly picked him. But how could it randomly pick him? Because it like, you know, we saw that laser would have had to like or whatever it was would have had to pull other people or other things like through the wall. But it picked him. I just don't get that. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Because like other, there were other people in his path. It's not like it was a direct laser beam to him. Like he busted through walls. He busted through like where other people were directly in that path, basically. And instead it just grabbed him. So the science of this film is bothering <laughs> me. I don't know. Like unless it was uh, uh, pulling from a specific coordinate um, on Duck World. Mm, okay. Okay. So just like, a, yeah. So it was just doing its longitude, latitude, like very specific spot. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's got to be the only way. It's all a bunch of science mumbo jumbo. Like I don't even know what laser <laughs> spectroscope means. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. 
<laughs> them explaining the science of this movie was it was pretty funny actually it was kind of like the flux capacitor from back to the future yeah very much so uh but yeah whatever it is the science the scientists of earth fucked up the laser spectroscope really it's just kind of how it happened and that's they just messed up and now we have howard here more of just like eh, no good explanation shit happens now we now we have a duck at this point we get cops coming in and like uh, arresting Howard, trying to apprehend Howard. They're at the science facility, and this is where the movie really starts losing me. Like, they didn't have a great setup to begin with, but this second mm-hmm. half of the film was uh, really easy to tune out, honestly. I began looking at my phone and stuff. Yeah. Because it all kind of, like, blends together. They go to the science facility twice. There's a diner somewhere in between there. But I don't, I'm not sure why the cops, in the first the first time they go to the, the science facility, why are the cops wanting to take him to jail and arrest him? I don't get it. The only note I put is cops apprehend Howard, but they eventually escape. Like, and there's, there was nothing to it. There was no reason. It didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, you, you just, you blank out. You blank out during this movie. There was a weird uh, strip search scene in there, though, that I thought was strange. Because oh. I wasn't sure what they were doing again. <laughs> I was like, what are they doing? And then I was like, oh, they're trying to take him out of his duck costume. Now I get it. Just, I guess, just played for comical aspect. It, it is also the scene where uh, the Jeffrey Jones character, what's his name? Dr. Something or other. Yeah, Dr. Jennings. Yeah, Dr. Jennings. Yeah, he, he uh, I guess the laser shot backward or brought something and it like possessed him. Another kind of strange inexplicable thing so they were doing something again with the laser that they had already fucked up once that they (laughs) just fucked up again with apparently yeah jenning now uh he's kind of like he's changing and he's sick uh and apparently they pulled some space demon all the way from wherever the fuck it was and it is now living inside of jenning basically or it's yeah it's possessed him which is weird but it's it's based on something from the comics okay i never read that comic really yeah is that it? doesn't make it not weird <laughs> originally howard wasn't brought to earth on accident he was brought by uh something called thog the nether spawn overmaster of Sominus. yeah that character is like a uh a sorcerer kind of so he was brought to earth mm. through magic through uh a portal called the nexus of all realities which is where man thing lives it, it like it took him to florida and that's how he first met man thing and howard the duck often teams up with man thing that's apparently that's the character that evil overlord is based on oh really oh see i didn't know that it doesn't rationalize the voice that Jeffrey Jones was doing at this point, yeah. <laughs> which is so no. bizarre. It was the weirdest fucking voice. Yeah, Dr. Jennings is getting really weird. Uh, so we're at this diner right now. I actually love this scene. I love this scene, actually. It's my yeah. favorite. <laughs> Where he, he shoots like laser eyes out and he, he's, he's getting powers and they're like starting to grow like the longer he stays on Earth, uh, almost like Kryptonian style. Like the longer he's like getting used to this body or getting used to Earth, this uh, overlord demon is starting to get more powers there is a terrible joke in there that i have to call out (laughs) that jeffrey jones was like looking sick and he like shoots out his laser eyes and some guy just kind of turns over to someone and says he must ate the chili and it's just like (laughs) (laughs) it didn't even make any fucking sense it was bad was anyone else weirded out by the fact that this diner was a combination 50s diner and japanese chinese restaurant yes that was horrible (laughs) it didn't make any yeah yeah it was very weird so they were wearing 50s dresses with Japanese headbands and there was a Chinese cook with like the ducks hanging out there. Right. And... <laughs> yes. I did like the waitress character. I think she may, she may have been my favorite character from the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, she was funny. She was probably, yeah, the actually only funny one in the, in the film. But the entire plot or the entire premise of Jennings right now, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get this code key 
for the laser because he wants to he wants to bring more of his overlord friends to earth to to take over the planet right basically and and some red uh some like trucker guys they steal it from him in the diner and it causes this big fight and during the fight uh lee thompson's character yeah those those people hold on i gotta say those people start fighting howard for no fucking reason there's no right (laughs) just come out of nowhere to to start fighting what the fuck they want to eat him i guess maybe that's why they made it like a chinese restaurant because you know yeah but why why not just make it a full chinese restaurant I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there was an interesting line at this moment though, where uh, where Beverly she goes up to Doctor Jennings and she says, "Save him, he's my favorite duck." And Doctor Jennings slowly turns to her and says, "You hardly know him." That was like the movie like got real for a second because it's like you literally met him like a couple of days ago. Yeah, they tried to establish like this or this really close relationship between Howard and Beverly over the span of this time, and it it's not possible that they could be that close. That she she falls real. Real hard, real fast. Even the space overlords were able to recognize that. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> they understand more about proper love than yeah. <laughs> uh, than Leah Thompson. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing that's true, though, and like she does fall head over heels pretty quickly, she's very consistent with that in her films, just like Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with all the wrong people too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so Jennings gets the code key uh, for the laser, and he ends up he's kidnapping Beverly and he takes her uh they're going back to the science lab Phil who got caught by the cops earlier that perfect same set of cops then go or at the diner and Phil is in the back seat of one of the cop cars Howard sees him and they escape and then there is this long drawn out fucking escape scene with them on this like makeshift plane yeah I hated that scene it was just (laughs) it was so not funny and it took forever they did they did like the same kind of like we're in danger joke over and over again and it was so bad i remember loving that scene as a kid um i I think besides you know the, the duck breasts and the end concert this was the scene that i remember the most but what i do not remember exactly was how long it went on yeah for it went on for like a solid 10 minutes i think yeah it was way too long there was some like neat stunt work there where the the mini plane lands on the back of a truck and then takes off from the same truck and everything when phil's hanging off off the plane and everything like that that was pretty impressive but it just went on way too long for what it was like it lost all of its appeal by the time they finished it so while jenning is driving he ends up seeing like a nuclear power plant this this overlord can absorb power and so he breaks in and he starts absorbing like this nuclear power again we get some like shitty music that just doesn't really work uh like the music is almost like in a heroic style but this is the villain who's absorbing power right now it just didn't make any damn sense so howard and phil fly and make it to the laser at this point jenning has beverly tied down like a fucking bond villain like seriously she looks just like that yeah but he's he wants to bring another demon to put it in beverly's body which is weird because he says that you have to you know you have to be inside a human host right but he's bringing like three or four villains and he's just got one body. He's just got Beverly there. And then it also proves that you don't ha- really have to have that because he exists outside of Jennings just like five minutes later. Right, exactly. And and the creatures, as they were coming through the portal or through the laser, they were like fully formed in their demon mode. So Yeah. Which we know can exist outside. I, I did kind of like the, the special effects work that they did for that. For its time, I thought it moved pretty well. It, was, it wasn't... For the Overlord? Yeah, for the Overlord. He didn't... He wasn't very stop-motion-y. I thought he moved 
pretty smoothly for the most part. Yeah, yeah. He didn't look like he existed in that physical space, but I thought the movement was pretty good. I agree. I agree. Um, but like, so before, I guess just before we get him out and the Overlord kind of out and about, Phil and Howard just kind of like randomly find this disintegrator in a lab. So another another laser uh, and they just happen to, to find it and they, they, they have this whole showdown and they shoot the Dark Overlord out of Jenning, apparently, with a disintegrating ray. You can shoot Dark Overlord demons outside of their hosts. <laughs> Which, yeah, d- d- no explanation for any of this stuff. It doesn't make any sense. As you said, yeah, the, the look of the Overlord was pretty solid. Like, the movement in particular uh, looks very good. Um, it, to me, it, it reminded me the look of the Overlord was as if, like, you know, the, the Rancor from mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi yeah. fucked a lobster. If it fucked a lobster, that would be the Dark Overlord, and it, and, it, and it came out shit brown. That would be exactly what it was. You know what it reminded me of? You remember the first Men in Black movie? Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he uh, Will Smith is uh, you know trying out for Men in Black, and he has to shoot, and he ends up shooting the fake little girl. Right. And he, he goes and gives his reasons why he didn't shoot the monsters. One of the monsters looks exactly like that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I think I know. I remember which one you're talking about. I'll have to go back and look at that. I wonder if that was on purpose. Could be. Uh, Men in Black is a, a Marvel subsidiary comic, right? It was once published by Marvel, and then it moved to Malibu Comics, which uh, is Malibu still a subsidiary? I don't know, I, actually. I think it was at the time. Yeah, it definitely was at the time. It, even in the credits for the first Men in Black, they say that it's based on the Marvel comic. Very cool. So they have this whole battle. Yeah, I thought he had pretty cool powers, though. Like, he had, like, the, the tentacle hands, and then he had, like, these laser eyes that could, like, disintegrate mm-hmm. things really, really, really slowly. Because yeah. I think that's what <laughs> yes. was happening to Phil and, and Beverly, was that they were getting disintegrated, because they started disappearing. It was, yeah, they, they were, like, stuck you know, they couldn't move, and then yeah, it did look like they were very, very, very slowly disintegrating. So, yeah, he was he was a, a dangerous kind of character. You know, so they have their whole battle, and Howard ends up shooting him with the disintegrator, and he blows up. The main problem here is that the laser is still about to bring, like, three more overlords. And as you mentioned, they're fully formed, so they're going to fuck them all up. Mm-hmm. And Howard has to decide to destroy the laser to stop them, but in doing so, he ends all hope in going back to his home planet, which not really, because you still have Dr. Jenning who could rebuild the laser, right? Right, right. But I guess he didn't think about that. So, eh. (laughs) I mean, you built it once, you can build it, you can build it again, but they tried to add drama. What did you think of the line during the fight where Phil tells Howard, Get out of there, duck! And proud of it! Ugh, yeah. (laughs) So bad. Yeah, I remember that. It was the worst. It was the fucking worst. But he destroys the the laser. Everything's okay. And we're now wrapping up completely with uh, Howard now manages the band Cherry Bomb. We get a not good song, the Howard the Duck song played by Cherry Bomb. At the end, uh, he plays guitar with the band and the credits roll. And we didn't get a Stanley Stanley cameo. I know that wasn't even established at this time. <laughs> and we didn't get an after credits scene. I know that wasn't established at this time. Uh, but that bothered me that I didn't get either of those. Because I feel like this movie is, even at that time, would have been perfect for an after credits scene. You know, because like... 
they they did that in you know Ferris Bueller and other stuff like that around this time, which would make sense that you know this this film seemed like it should have that. Yeah, it would have helped, I think, because anything anything to get that uh, that synchronized guitar dance out of my yeah. out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. Oh, so uh, we'll do final thoughts. I'm just gonna go ahead and do mine. I was I was just so surprised by this film because I didn't think it was gonna suck this fucking much, <laughs> and it really did. Uh, the movie is god awful. It has no, and I repeat, no redeeming qualities other than maybe Leah Thompson in her underwear at one point. But that's just me being a creep. Yeah, her acting is fucking awful. Maybe the acting, yeah, the the humor from that one waitress was okay, but I'm still in shock, and I don't remember it. I saw it two fucking days ago, and I barely remember anything because it just it just went in and out of my brain immediately. <laughs> Who's next? John, you want to go? Uh, yeah, wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> well, very succinct, John. Short, short and sweet. There you go. <laughs> I, I mean, I own the film, so maybe this is me just trying to rationalize the that purchase. Like it, for me, it's hard to hate it because I think that it's it, it's a film that had well-meaning intentions to be an off-the-wall adventure story, kind of. And, and some of the characters were a little bit charming sometimes. And I did like some of the effects. But the whole movie was so goddamn cheesy and lacking in any sort of structure or character development. And it was just really fucking dumb. It wasn't charming enough for me to not want my two hours back. Yeah. And I probably won't ever watch it again. <laughs> um, so <laughs> even, yeah, even owning it. Even owning it. So, like, yeah, I, I can't say that I would ever recommend it to anybody. That sounds about... Fucking right, man. <laughs> yeah, and in the comics, actually, uh, they kind of made a joke where Howard the Duck sued Lucasfilm for this movie, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. It was it was kind of like a great cap to this whole movie experience. So now we're actually going to talk something that I did see as a kid, and I this is what I'm actually really excited to talk to talk about with uh, with you guys today, and that is the Spider-Man animated show, which is actually just titled entitled Spider-Man, but we all kind of like typically say the animated series. I think because this ran around the same time as the Batman, the animated series, which was actually in the the name of the show, but this one was officially just called Spider-Man. It ran from 1994 to 1998, uh, had five seasons total and 65 total episodes. Uh, it ran on Fox Kids, so the same network that showed the X-Men animated show, which we last we talked, we talked to Joseph about that in our last episode that he was on, which was uh, where we talked Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Show. Hmm. This show starred Christopher Daniel Barnes as our Spider-Man and Peter Parker. I guess I simply glow on the subject of radiation. I don't know why. It uh, must be in my blood. He's been in a couple different things. He was maybe most known as Eric, the Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Seemed very familiar to me. Have we met? We have met. I knew it. You're the one. The one I've been looking for. What's your name? <gasps> but he was also... Greg Brady in those really bad 90s Brady Bunch movies. If you remember those, they had like two of them. Oh, wow. Sarah Ballantyne played Mary Jane. Hey, Tiger. Sorry I'm late. By the way, I saw your photos in the Bugle this morning. Another front page. Very impressive. She has a bunch of small parts, but nothing really else outstanding. The Maybe the most famous name is Ed Asner. He played J. Jonah Jameson. Parker, you really tick me off. 
I'll find out how a young squirt like you gets those photos sooner or later. And we all know Ed Asner from Up now, but he was also on the Mary Tyler Moore show. He's been in a bunch of stuff and uh, probably maybe one of my favorite voice actors, at least in this show, was Roscoe Lee Brown, who played Kingpin. Uh, he had a great voice as Kingpin. By the time I got out, I had acquired all the skills needed to begin building my criminal empire. I even took a new name, the Kingpin. Um, he was in A Different World, and he had a bunch of other different small parts, but I really liked his voice. And there was, there was tons of other like side characters and, and really good voice actors that we'll talk about just coming up, I think. But with Kingpin, I always thought it was kind of interesting that this was how I was first introduced to the character of Kingpin. I didn't really start reading comics until probably, you know, a little bit after these shows got me into them. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't realize Kingpin was really a daredevil villain because he was the really the main villain of this show. So I kind of always associated him with Spider-Man, even though he wasn't. Yeah, he was definitely the overarching villain throughout the entire series, which which I it was actually my introduction to the character as well, because at that point I had it started reading Daredevil. I remember just always thinking like, why does this guy keep showing up? This fat baby man. Like, <laughs> show somebody cool like Dr. Octopus and everything. Like, it wasn't until I started reading the comics, the Daredevil comics actually, that I actually grew to really appreciate uh, the character of the Kingpin. Yeah. The, that fat baby man. <laughs> I like this was probably one of the first cartoons that I think I saw that kind of integrated some computer animation in with its traditional animation. Yes. It wasn't too often, but they did it in ways that still looked good. Like it was typically just uh, building backgrounds or something, you know, any of like the background stuff while he was swinging, but it, it worked well enough. Like it wasn't too shitty. Looking back at it now, I think that was probably, you know, pretty innovative at the time. I loved it as a kid. It was mind-blowing because I'd never seen anything like that and like I couldn't quite put my finger on it like why it looked different it just it just like melted my eyes it was so amazing looking it's one of my favorite things that I remember about the show the early 90s were just a great time to be alive as a kid because you had this and then you had the x-men and did you guys watch the the episodes where they teamed up they did the crossover yes yeah so great because it was so true to both characters. It was the same voice cast from X-Men. The, the storyline was great. I, I think in general, this show did a really good job, as well as the X-Men show did, of kind of like summarizing these long events from the comics into episode form. It was very true. Mm. And I think a lot of the writers on the show actually were comic book writers. Because I know that Jerry Conway did the pilot episode, and he was the one that wrote the, the Gwen Stacy story arc where she died. Yeah, maybe the most well-known comic story arc of all time or up there for sure. For Spider-Man, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this uh, the way you put it, like these years of the 90s were some of the best times to be growing up and like this this is what introduced us to so many interesting comic storylines and they were really true to the comics it felt like. Yeah. And between this show, the X-Men animated series and Batman the animated series, these are those are three incredible cartoons that I will always hold as like three of the the best cartoons of all time, you know, in my opinion, because I just, I love them and they work so well. And you get, you know, you get these characters in their cool costumes and you're like, man, they look fucking crazy, but they look so fucking good. And like, as a kid, you get, I got enthralled by them. And this one, I'm having trouble if I had to, if I had to rank all three of them, God, that's a tough thing to do. <laughs> and I'm going to put that on right now. If you have to rank the Batman animated series, X-Men and Spider-Man, which, what is your order of quality? 
Hmm. Their, their lasting time, maybe Batman the Animated Series is the overall best because it has maybe some of the most adult parts to it. But this Spider-Man show is fucking good. I, I was going to start and watch like one episode from every season. And once I started with episode one, I've just been binging it. And I, <laughs> I got all through season one and mostly through season two. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm just, I just want to watch it all. I want to watch all of it. It's just, it's so fucking good to me because this is quintessential Adam in front of the TV, just going nuts, loving this shit. I, uh, I had the same reaction. I ended up did kind of just jumping around, but as I'm watching this, I'm thinking I'm going to go back and watch all of these. I'm going to watch every season. As far as ranking, it's tough because I have a huge fondness for the X-Men series. And I think the first season of the X-Men series is some of the best comic book to animation adaptation ever done. Mm -hmm. But the, they had their issues with the actual animation. You know, it, they had their, their problems with it. And if you go back and listen to our episode where we interviewed Larry Houston, he talks about, you know, the problems that they had. Had. And this kind, of, I think this show learned from you know their problems, mm -hmm, yeah. and so their animation style was much much better. So I, it's it's hard to rank them, especially I just have a love for them. So I I'm gonna rank Batman number three, but it's mm -hmm. number three out of the three best animated yeah. <laughs> you know animated series. So it's 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 tough, and, and I'm still gonna put X Men number one just for the first season because that it's it's still my yeah, favorite. But Spider Man is close behind it. If they could have gone back, or if they could have had what Spider Man had as far as the animators to go with it, it would have helped the rest of that season or the rest of that series. Excuse me. Yeah, that that, that is a tough ranking because they're all. All three of them are so great. I think Batman was probably the most consistently great because uh, both X-Men and Spider-Man had some episodes that were duds. Mm -hmm. But I think my Marvel fanboy-ism will not <laughs> allow me to rank that number one. So I got to go X-Men, Spider-Man, and Batman. Same as John. Okay. All right. I'm 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 officially going Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men. How dare you? But the way you guys put it, though, I mean, even X-Men, I that's actually the only one of these that I actually own of these series. Like I own the X-Men series from the nineties on DVD, but I love all of them. I love all the, love them so much, but they are so fucking good. Um, something I loved that they did in this show was they planted seeds in early episodes that you would get like three episodes down the line. Yeah. So something like Eddie Brock, we actually like, we see him even in episode one, but we don't get venom until I think episode nine or so, or 10 even, in I think it's the end of episode 9 in that first season. But, like, you get those little plantings of Brock hates Peter Parker, he hates Spider-Man, and so, you, so by the time you actually get the symbiote onto Eddie Brock, it makes sense that it just enhances that rage. And, you know, with the symbiote hating Spider-Man from him just be getting kicked off of him, it totally makes sense. And not even just that, there's a whole bunch of different... You meet the character, like, who Morbius is supposed to be in season one, but Morbius, Morbius doesn't happen until partway into season two. Like, they have just those little things that make it, like, a serial show. Like, that, that makes it such like a, an entire storyline that you want to follow. Like, yes, they have some... Most of the episodes, even, are just like, oh, here's a villain that just kind of gets introduced and starts fighting. But they have enough of those little things that following through you get set up and pay off and it's really nice the multi-episode stories that they did frequently in the show i think were both an advantage and a detriment to it because i remember as a kid turning on the tv and if i had missed a week or two then i was mm. mostly lost so I, I was always super excited to see 
you know, part one at the bottom of the episode name because that meant I was, you know, I was caught up or I, I knew pretty much everything I needed to know. Yeah, sometimes I'd catch it like halfway through or something and I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be as enjoyable for me. So, but it did feel like reading the comics in that way because you had, you know, this established continuity built up from the previous episodes or issues and that real fans of the series who watched every episode from week to week would appreciate. Random thought. Who has a better rogues gallery, Spider-Man or the X-Men? I'm not going to put it up against Batman. So I'm just thinking Spider-Man or X-Men. Who do you think has the better rogues gallery? Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man too. Yeah. There's so many silly kind of like just a bunch of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of go with you on that one as well. And you get so much of that gallery in this show. Yeah, you do. In these 65 episodes, they pack it <laughs> with a ton of different characters. And I love that. You get so many different ones. Yeah, they even had Carnage in there, which was great. Yes, yeah, you even get Carnage. Yeah, you you, you have the whole setup with Venom, and then the symbiote gets shot out into space, and then it eventually comes back in another episode. And then in the following one after that, you get Carnage, and it worked really well. It's fucking good. I think the only one that they didn't have in the show was Sandman. I never saw him. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't think I remember Sandman. They had, yeah, they had Hydra Man, but he was actually in the in the comic as well. Yeah, that's about. Yeah, I don't think I remember Sandman. Thinking about it, and I liked how the very first episode they don't go through the whole process of how he became Spider Man. They just jump right in. He's Spider Man, and then they talk about it. Not even in the first episode. They talk about it in you know a couple episodes later about what had happened and you know Uncle Ben dying. Like they don't really jump into that so much right away, which I appreciated. Yeah, I love that to see to see the character fully realized without being bogged down with the origin story. That was awesome. He he had everything. He even had like his little spider signal in the first episode. Yeah. So he was he was fully <laughs> decked out as you know Spider Man. It was great. Did you like or dislike that he wasn't? in high school that he was at Empire State University. So they kind of aged him a little bit from like the typical teenager. He wasn't like the traditional Spider-Man. He was kind of like a more of a slightly older college. He was a college aged Spider-Man. It didn't bother me. Personally, Empire State University Spider-Man has always been my favorite Spider-Man. The, the teenage Spider-Man was always a little bit too wimpy. I think it's when he went into college and he met Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn. That's really when he came into his own, I think, as a man. So he's always, mm -hmm. that's always been my favorite. And I wonder if that's because of this show, actually. I don't know. Um, I agree. I like it. I think it's honestly a lot more relatable. And I think it works better for a show. Yeah. Because as opposed to some high school kid fighting these villains, you know, you get... A guy, he's in college and he looks and sounds like an adult. And so it just, it fits a little bit better. I know that's the whole part, you know, the reason is, is to why the comic book, I think, made, was so popular because it was a bit of a kid and fish out of water, that situation. Yeah. But I think it worked really, really well because he was in Empire State University. Um, and I agree that that's... It's just something that, that worked a lot for me because he could get into more adult situations and you could have those romantic angles with, you know, the whole Betty Veronica kind of situation, the whole Mary Jane or Felisa Hardy, yeah. where in high school, I don't believe it as much. You're yeah. just a stupid little high school kid in college. You know, he's a man now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and you could still have relatable problems in that age, you know, problems that, that even people who are kids could relate to, you know, such as being broke, mm -hmm. you know, having a family that doesn't have a, a lot of money or something like that. So, and that's always been Spider-Man's core appeal is that, you know, he, he's the character that is relatable. He's the character whose biggest struggles come not while he's, you know, fighting crime, but while he's out of costume. This show did a great job of doing that. Another great thing that this show did is that fucking theme song. Yes. 
love that theme song it's i think it took me forever to kind of realize some of the actual lyrics that they were saying like when i was a kid i didn't think i under i, I understood like you know radioactive spider spider-man but i didn't know it's spider blood it's spider blood it's radioactive spider blood really like, it's just oh i didn't i never knew that you didn't know that it was radioactive that's what that's what they're saying <laughs> all i heard was radioactive spider-man and everything else i i just i never thought to process Yeah, because it sounds just like spider blood and spider blood, but it's spider blood. It's spider blood. It's radioactive spider blood. Spider Man. Wow, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna go against you. I did not like this uh, intro oh, at all. Shit. Really? Yes, wow. I really didn't like it. And and that's hmm. even after finding out that the guitar solo on this was actually played by Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Really? Oh fuck, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, that I mean that part actually when the guitar part kicks in, that part I get I'm fine with, but like everything leading up to that part, I could give or take. Really honestly, yeah. I it was not my favorite. I hate to bring the the mood of the group down. <laughs> hey, you're not bring you're not bringing me down, man. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean it it doesn't take away from the show for me. I just don't really like that the intro song. There's nothing catchy about it. I love it, man. I did like, however, in the episodes where the X-Men were involved, they threw the X-Men theme into the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. That was fantastic. The one thing I noticed that the Spider-Man animators did wrong on the X-Men, though, was that Gambit didn't have his uh, red eyes. He had, like, normal eyes. Mm. So that was Mm -hmm. weird looking. But yeah, that those X-Men episodes were great. A lot of the crossover episodes were great. Like that you had Daredevil, you had the Punisher episode, yeah. you had Doctor Strange. The Secret War episode was actually the first one that I jumped to after watching the 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 Lizard episode. That was like at the the close to the end. I mean, those are like the last some of the last ones, the Secret War and then like the uh the very once they get in kind of like the spider universe kind of stuff at the last few episodes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I remember in the TV show, they called the final episodes of the show. They called it the, the clone saga or something like that. It was this ver- it was this show's version of the clone saga. But really, it was closer to what is now known as Spider-Verse, where you take all these mm-hmm. different Spider-Men from these different universe, parallel universes, and then they form a team to go up against a common enemy. I, I really think that in the comics, the, the Spider-Verse storyline came out in like 2014 or 2015, but I have to think that it was really heavily inspired by what this show did. Yeah, I really like those two. I think they helped introduce me into the multiverse world of comics. Yes. And like that you can dive into, okay, I understand. Oh, there's a... Ultimates universe. Okay, sure. Or, hey, there's a Age of Apocalypse universe, you know, that the whole kind of multiverse thing. And this show, to, I think, was probably my first introduction into that. And I, it was successful. And it, it looked really cool. I think what was cool about this one is that they actually had one of the Spider-Men that was helping them fight was actually from our world. He was an actor playing Spider-Man. Mm. <laughs> he didn't have any powers, but he was playing Spider-Man in a movie. And at the very end, he brought Spider-Man to his dimension so that Spider-Man can meet Stan Lee. And that, that's right. That's how 
how they ended the show. Yeah, that was huge. That was it was so special. I did not own a lot of Spider-Man comics, but I did get into for a short while. Speaking of multiverses, I did get into the uh, Spider-Man 2099 series for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember you having a couple of those. After this show ended, it kind of evolved into a Spider-Man 2099-ish show. It was called Spider-Man Unlimited, if I remember correctly. Yes, you're right. And they actually, I believe that they brought that out because of the success of Batman Beyond. And so they were trying to really? compete yeah, with, uh, with kind of like that futuristic thing. That's hilarious. But there's uh, there's a couple other just interesting things I want to call out. Basically, I just really want to have this as, uh, as a sound bite. Um, <laughs> I want to call out one of the worst overacted scenes of all time in car- cartoon history. Uh, and this is in the episode where Spider-Man has the black suit and he's chasing Shocker. And he screams up at Shocker and he's like overacting. And if you guys haven't heard that clip, you have to go re-listen to it because it is so well overacted. It's, it's hilarious. Get back here, Shocker! Shocker! You can't escape me! I'll chase you to the ends of the earth! Uh, a couple other funny things. So Mark Hamill played the Hobgoblin, and it was very obvious to me that they just kind of wanted to have the Joker in in here. Yeah, and yeah. he sounded exactly the same as the Joker, just a little, like, just dialed down, not nearly as crazy, right. just mostly as crazy. Hey, Spider-Man! How about a scenic tour of the village? <laughs> Re-listening to it, it's just like, oh... I don't know if I need Hob- like Mark Hamill as the Hobgoblin just because he's such such my Joker. Right. It was strange. It was weird because it se- the show seemed to prioritize Hobgoblin over the Green Goblin. Yeah. Which was weird to me because I always thought Green Goblin was a better character. And yeah, yeah I-, I wonder why they chose to do that for the show. I don't know. There's also some just things I thought was funny, particularly in, in the writing, in that it was a little too convenient where Spider-Man would be out of web fluid or, you know, he had like a a misfire or some shit like that where it's just like, Oh, well that was, that was a little too fucking convenient for the plot for him to just be falling right now. So (laughs) it just, I'm sure that happens plenty of times in the comics too, but I always just thought that was funny. Um, and I like that they had Bruce, his gargoyle friend that he would talk to, uh, all the time and that was pretty damn funny. (laughs) I like that quite a bit. Yeah. I don't know why I always equated like that gargoyle with Batman, Maybe because Batman also hangs around gargoyles all the damn time, like up in the rafters and shit. Yeah. And, that's, and I always thought that's why he called it Bruce, but maybe not. Oh, I never thought about that. That's pretty good theory, actually. I've never even heard that. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that's pretty much what I have to say about the show other than just like I, I'm so fucking excited to be rewatching this one. I think uh, one interesting note. Uh, to point out was that the 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 restrictions um as far as censorship goes for the for the show like the cops they all had laser guns because the censors wouldn't allow the police officers to sh- uh, have real guns and even the punisher he had like l- weird laser guns we talked about that when we talked about gi joe because in gi joe they also don't use real guns they use laser guns oh. yeah. and I, th- I didn't even they didn't even click for me that's interesting. What's also interesting is that they didn't allow any shots of Spider-Man connecting with a punch. You never see Spider-Man punch anybody in huh. the, the entire duration of the show. You see him <laughs> throw people. You see him like swing into people, kicking them, but you never see him punch them. The fuck? God damn it. <laughs> Censors ruin everything, man. <laughs> it's not something that ruins the show because it doesn't even really register that well. 
but it, it is surprising in hindsight to go back and watch these and, and just see him not punching anybody. <laughs> uh, so any other final thoughts on the show? I really enjoyed it. And actually, I'm really I'm now excited to go back and, and just well, I'm going to binge the whole series. I had a hard time finding it. I finally found it on Daily Motion. Yeah, that was the best place. That's where I found it, too. I'm probably just going to go buy all of the series on iTunes and just watch them all. Yeah, I think this is definitely a show worth revisiting. Um, even if you didn't see it as a kid, I would recommend seeing it now. Just uh, It did a great job of retelling all of these classic Spider-Man stories. Although the Spectacular Spider-Man show did a good job of doing that as well they kind of did too many retcons like this spider-man show was like more true to the comics than any of the other spider-man animated series and it had great cameos i want to go back and watch the blade episodes Mm -hmm. because i remember that was the first time i was ever introduced to blade it was just cool seeing him too fun times tons so many different characters that it introduced you to that it got me more excited to become a comic reader and because it was faithful to the comics it was an easy transition to just start reading them and it fit with some of the stories that you're like, oh, I kind of already know this story a little bit, or I know these characters because they had a cameo in Spider-Man and it just worked really fucking well. And yeah, I'm going to be finishing up this entire show. I'm going to watch the whole damn thing and I'm going to have a big shitting grin on my face doing it. (laughs) Isn't it a shit eating grin and not a shitting grin? No, I said shit eating. I think. Oh, you did. I I heard (laughs) shitting grin. Which is worse, though. A shitting grin makes more sense when you think about it. You don't want to eat shit and you grin. If you take a shit and it feels good, then you grin. Don't you think a shitting grin makes more sense than a shit-eating grin? You're absolutely right. Yeah. (laughs) You just blew my mind. Yeah. I'm going to start using that from now on. Okay. This episode of the Blast From Our Path podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. Dad, why would Spider-Man be on a bus? Because he couldn't get a cab? No way, there's the Hulk. Hey, where are you guys going? They're going to McDonald's, where you can find eight of the greatest superheroes. Because with every Hamburger Happy Meal you buy for $1.99, your kids get a superhero action toy. Like the Invisible Woman or the Web-Whipping Spider-Man. One with each Marvel superhero's Happy Meal you buy. Look, the Invisible Woman. I didn't see her on the bus. And now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. Uh, For this one, we are going to cast the Sinister Six. Joseph, since we have you here, uh, can you kind of give us a background on the Sinister Six and um, where they're from, etc.? Yeah, the Sinister Six uh, is a super team of villains that are uh, comprised of Dr. Octopus, Mysterio, Electro, Kraven, Sandman and the Vulture and basically they all got fed up with getting defeated by Spider-Man time and time again so it was Dr. Octopus that put the team together they all ganged well they didn't really gang up on Spider-Man is the thing in their first appearance they actually set up a trap individually so Spider-Man actually fought them in succession they're not the brightest of villains <laughs> in reality like if they were all to just to like gang up on Spider-Man simultaneously they would have a much better shot at defeating him if, uh, as opposed to what they typically do. But, you know, it, it's it's a formidable group here. It's it's among Spider-Man's most fierce and, and popular uh, enemies. And it, ju- it just highlights his really awesome rogues gallery that he has. There's been, there's been a lot of different iterations of the Sinister Six throughout yep. the years, but we went with the original six. Uh, very excited about that. They've also had, like, tons of even, like, other offshoots. Like, they've had a... 
a sinister society or something or like yeah in the animated spider-man show they called it the insidious six uh, but there's been like just a bunch of different versions i think there was also a sinister 12 at one point in the comics there was yeah this was the one that kind of started that with those spider-man villains but there's been a shit ton of different kind of offshoots throughout the years all right let's kind of work backwards from not really from the list uh, we're gonna go backwards from the list i have so we're gonna start with a uh, sandman so adam why don't you start us off for well, while we say each one jonathan or not jonathan sorry that guy's <laughs> god a damn it uh, <laughs> uh joseph could we could you like give a very quick breakdown of what like their powers are or just something about them yes yeah, sandman is a villain who uh can turn into sand uh he can you know, create constructs using his limbs that are comprised out of sand. He can make them super dense. So he has super strength, but he can also go intangible and have like uh, other objects physically pass through him due to the fact that he is comprised out of sand. Um, he could ch- change his shape. At one point, I remember he merged with the Hydro Man and they became like this mud monster and stuff like that. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. But awesome. no, he, he's, uh, he's pretty much your typical thug. He doesn't have too inter- interesting of a, an origin story, but I think he's best known just for his look. Like he has like that green and black striped shirt with like the, the red like crop top kind of thing. It's pretty funny. All right. So Adam, let's start with you. Who is your pick for a uh, live action Sandman other than the guy who played it in Spider-Man three? I do want to say Thomas Hayden church did actually a solid ass job in Spider-Man three. In my opinion, he was maybe one of the only decent parts about the Spider-Man three film. You know, it's somewhat tempting to, to cast him, but I didn't want to cast anybody who's already played right. any of these parts. When we, when we get to him, I'll talk to him about it, but since you kind of brought this up, I actually really liked Alfred Mer, uh, Merlina as doc, as Dr. Octopus, yeah. Yeah. but I didn't I didn't want to recast him as well, so I went with new people. And obviously, we're going to be casting the Vulture, and I really liked Michael Keaton's version of that. I'm assuming we're just recasting you know, all of these guys as new people. Exactly. We're not like doing it into the MCU because they already have some of these characters in the MCU. Like we are just doing our own casting, whoever we think would make sense. And so this one was somewhat tough for me because I did like Thomas Hayden Church. He had a really good look. Yeah, he did. I agree on that. So my guy, I don't think would be the perfect look, but I know he's a good actor and he's played a villain before in a movie that I really don't like, but he is a really good actor. I went with Michael Shannon as my Sandman, who is probably most famous for playing Zod in the uh, Man of Steel, Steel film. Okay. Recently. He's a really good actor, so I think he w- could do a good job, but he didn't have the perfect look, but I'm still happy with it, damn it. I think he has a damn good look. He kind of has that like that square jaw. He still have a square head. <laughs> he has the hair, you know, that kind of it's yeah. kind of tall sometimes. No, I think that was a solid choice. Thank you. I'll go ahead and jump in with mine. I, mine's kind of hit or miss. Uh, I went with um, uh, an actor who actually was recently in a Marvel film, but you kind of really don't know who he is. Although he was portraying his brother, his real life brother. He's actually most probably known for being on Westworld uh, as the head of security and actually went with Mm. one of the Hemsworth brothers, Luke Hemsworth. Yeah. 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 You could totally do it too. He definitely has the job. There are a lot of different people that can play this character, honestly. As long as you don't get somebody too too small, I think they might actually fit the role. Because he's he's a little bit nondescript. For my pick, I went with an actor that has been in a Marvel movie before, but I... Uh, mainly chose this guy based on his hair <laughs> because I always think of Sandman having that crop top 
kind of thing. And uh, I went with the guy from Kid and Play. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, Terrence Howard. He was in the first Iron Man as Rhodey oh, okay. Rhodes before he was replaced by uh, Don Cheadle. And uh, you know he was in Hustle and Flow. I just thought he might make a compelling villain character as an actor. I definitely think he could be a good villain. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I almost thought of. Uh... Stephen Lang. Oh, yeah, this. from Avatar. Yeah, but he he is old, but he is good. He could you can have an older Sandman. I don't think that's the biggest thing in the world. No, yeah, he could work too. I ultimately liked who I picked with because I yeah you know you did, I, I John I think your your call is probably actually my personal favorite of these three. Okay, thinking about it, but that's pretty good. I mean, I think any one of them could do it. Yeah, as Joseph put, you can probably cast a multitude of folks. Right. My first thought for this role actually went to Michael C. Hall, who played Dexter, but then I ended up going against that just because I thought it was too heavily influenced by Thomas Hayden Church's portrayal. Because I okay. think ah. Michael C. Hall kind of resembles Thomas Hayden Church in a few ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, so now let's go to a character who actually um, I used to not really care about, but since having listened to the uh, Dynamic Duel episode about him, I found him a little bit more interesting, and that's Mysterio. Yeah, he's he's a pretty interesting character. I, I like him a lot. I really li- loved that particular dual episode because I knew that I could just fucking do whatever I wanted. Like there were no <laughs> limitations on the character. He can pretty much do anything in appearance only. Right. He he's the master of like special effects and illusions. And while he may not be like outwardly the most powerful, he does have a lot of powerful weapons. But it, it's mainly all about the show and 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 messing with your mm-hmm. mind and things like that. He's a great character. Well, why don't you start us off? Okay, so for this one, uh, I know that they're currently filming Spider-Man Far From Home with Jake Gyllenhaal playing the character of Mysterio. So I I didn't want to get anywhere close to that. So I ended up just casting the most mysterious actor that I could think of. (laughs) And I actually thought that this would be kind of like an interesting reveal when it is uh, shown in this fake movie that it's a woman playing the character of Mysterio. Mm -hmm. And... uh, as far as mysterious actresses go, I went with Eva Green. I think I think she's huh. one of the most mysterious out there. Oh yeah, oh, interesting call. So I, yeah, I keep I, I keep doing these like race bending and gender bending answers, but yeah, I, I think Eva Green would make a great Mysterio. So would you have in in your fake movie? Yeah. Would you have the voice of Mysterio be disguised as a man, and then it turns out to be a woman, or would it just be you could tell it was a woman from from beginning? Oh, no, it would definitely be disguised. Uh, he's all about, you know, deception and lies and everything like that. And so, yeah, it would be some kind of modulated voice. Okay. Yeah, Eva Green, I loved her in Casino Royale. And, and yeah, she was good. Sin City. She's one of my favorite actresses, so I thought she'd do well here. No, and that's good. And I, uh, did you see the, um, I forget what it was called, the second 300 movie that she was in? Rise of the empire or something like that something like that i did not see that one no but it's okay but she plays a really good menacing character because she kind of plays that in that movie yeah more or less the bad guy and i could totally see that translating into this role i like that i like that pick a lot cool thank you uh adam why don't we go to you uh yeah no i definitely like that style that that kind of it fits really well with with mysterio kind of who who is so mysterious and like it could just deceiving everybody could end up being a woman i didn't go that route but I do like that idea. Mm-hmm. When I thought about Mysterio, I kind of thought you have to be very theatrical. You have to be kind of like, I don't know, he's almost almost like a Shakespearean actor at times. Like he <laughs> yeah. goes, he hams it up. And when I think about hamming it up, I thought about Gaston from 
Beauty and the Beast. He's very much a ham. And so uh, that led me to my pick, which was Luke Evans as Mysterio, because he is such a ham uh, in the kind of movie. And Gaston just has that style. So mine's a pretty much straightforward kind of thing. It's not a terrible, you know, change from from Jake Gyllenhaal and that kind of same mentality. But uh, I just think the, the look of Gaston kind of and, and just that overacting kind of thing, I think would fit Mysterio. So. All right. So in my fake Sinister Six movie, I did not care about the look of the person underneath the, the bubble. The, the bubble. <laughs> um, and, and in my movie, you don't even need to reveal the face. So I went with the voice and I wanted somebody with a, a real menacing voice. And he's getting up there in age. So this might be the perfect thing for him because he probably really couldn't do too much of the, uh, the action stuff. But I actually went with Tony Todd. Oh, okay. Yeah, he has a very menacing voice for sure. Who is Tony Tun? I'm not sure. He was Candyman. Yeah. Oh. In the scary, like, Halloweenish kind of movies, uh, horror movie from back in the day. Oh, yeah. I love that. I really love that. That's that's a good pick. Very deep, very scary voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Uh, let's move on to Craven. Now, Adam, when you and I did our top 10 heroes and villains list, you listed Craven as one of your, your favorite villains. Yeah. Craven, he's so interesting to me, particularly. The storyline, uh, Craven's Last Hunt, yeah. is one of the greatest comic stories of all time, in my opinion. He is so, so interesting. I don't know, Joseph, if you have anything more you'd like to, to bring up about Craven. He's just an expert hunter who is so good that he's actually able to go up against, uh, you know, a, a mutated human being like Spider-Man. And that's kind of what makes him so badass is that he doesn't have any powers, or at least his original incarnation didn't. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, his son is the hunter and he has like the strength of a, a lion and a bear and stuff like that. No, he, he's a fantastic villain who was successful in defeating his prey, which was Spider-Man, the ultimate prey. And it was so fascinating in that once he did that and he he buried spider-man and everything he had real no reason left to live and that's what happened at the end of craven's last hunt is that he ended up killing himself because you know he was like mm -hmm. you know what else is there i i really love the character he's, he's really he's really interesting and at first he actually used to be one of my least favorite spider-man villains just because you know he didn't have a whole lot of powers other than his uh hunting ingenuity and so yeah. I, I, that didn't appeal to me but it was it was later on once I read Craven's Last Hunt that really that really made the character stand out to me. Have you guys done a, a dual episode with him yet? We have not. We have not, and I don't think we have one lined up. But I'm I'm trying to think. Jonathan might have a better idea of who he could actually go up against. I can't right. think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, I couldn't either. We will though for sure. I'll go ahead and start this one off. I don't know the character that well, so I kind of went based off of look more than anything. So I went with an actor who played actually he recently played a DC character in the Arrow in the Arrowverse series and I went with the guy who played Razal Gould I went with Matt Nabel I thought you were going to say my choice <laughs> oh. oh because I also <laughs> I also picked an actor that was recently in the Arrow show ah. but uh, I'm trying to think of what was the name that you said again uh, Matt Nabel like Noble with an A Oh yeah, yeah he he has the facial hair for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, he looks the part. He could definitely do that role. Yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with that one. I think I like my choice better. I'm very happy with my choice. I actually ended up immediately. This was the first person I cast, so I picked a guy who I think can definitely pull off like some of the facial hair. He had a little bit of this uh, when he was in Game of Thrones. He's not as big and strong as Craven is, especially from like 
the animated show, but like seriously, they they get everybody swole in that animated <laughs> show. Even like Doc Ock had like a six pack. Ryan Parker <laughs> was swole in that. Yeah, he was super swole. My guy, I've actually used him at least once before. He has like the I just I know what he did with the character of the of red of the Red Viper in Game of Thrones mm. could be translated so well into Craven. I went with Pedro Pascal as my Craven. I think he would do a oh. fantastic job. Yeah, that's that's really good. I like that call. I like that one a lot. Oh damn, I, I kind of wish I, I would have <laughs> picked that one now. <laughs> no, he looks the part, uh, and you know he's yeah, going to be in does. the upcoming Wonder Woman movie as a villain, and he was great in oh god the Kingsman movie, the sequel. Yeah, the Golden Circle. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a good, he just has like this charisma about him. Yeah, I That agree. I think would totally lend itself to Craven. Good pick. Who'd you go with, Joseph? Okay, so uh, my first pick was actually going to be Luke Evans. Mm. Oh. But then I, I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know what? I, I want to pick like a, a really huge guy. A guy who could believably <laughs> go up against lions and, and bears and things like that. So I wanted somebody that was like as close to the rock that I could get without being <laughs> the rock. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, so I went with another Arrow actor. His name is Manu Bennett. Yep. He's from New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, he, he he looks kind of similar to The Rock, but a little bit more uh, gruff, you know? And he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a big dude. He was in Spartacus, uh, Blood and Sand, and he played the head orc in the Hobbit movies. He did the right. mo- motion capture yeah. for that. Dude is jacked. I think he looks the part as well. I don't think that's a bad call at all either. No, I love it. I like him a lot because I'm a big fan of that Spartacus show I've mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, he is he is a good call. He definitely does seem like he's the best physical fit yeah. for Craven <laughs> compared to to mine and John's castings. Oh, thanks. But it's cool because they're, they're, they're two actors who bring something completely different. So you would get two different styles of Craven with either one. So Yeah, mine would be much more agile. Like, you know, Joseph's can go up against lions and tigers and bears. Mine can go up against a mountain. How about that? <laughs> yeah, but in the end, the mountain ultimately won. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. I don't hate any of these picks so far, I just have to say. Yeah, they've been pretty good. All right, so now let's move on to Electro, played by, I almost said I almost said Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, uh. Almost play, uh, played by Jamie Foxx in, uh, was it The Amazing Spider-Man 2? That, she would have done a much better job. <laughs> she- yeah, I still have not seen either of those. I still actually haven't even seen Spider-Man three. Oh, from, really? From the from the Tobey Maguire run. So I'll just I'm gonna go in. I did. I saw when I saw the Amazing Spider-Man two. I can't. Remember, I don't think it was with Joseph, but it was at least with a bunch of our. Uh, friends from our past work. I saw it with our good friend Maggie Hart, who you've had on the show a few times. Yeah, she's a massive Spider-Man fan. I came out of the film utterly disgusted with how bad it was. And Maggie just, she is such a, a homer for Spider-Man that she was blinded at how atrocious it was. And I was like, it's such a fun movie. I loved it. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That was awful. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's my, uh. I didn't, I don't hate um, Andrew Garfield's characterization of Spider-Man. I agree. I thought it was better than Tobey Maguire's. So I think like up to that point, that was, was probably as the best that we had so far, but the, the characterization of Electra, and the the story of the movie itself was not good at all especially the way they just kind of like tossed in green goblin in there and everything yes it was bad. yeah yeah dane and dane dehan was not a good green goblin oh, he was horrible it was so bad <laughs> <laughs> he looked uh he looked awful yeah and yeah uh but uh could actually joseph could you tell us a little bit about electro you don't need his backstory but at least his power set sure well yeah the character of electro he, well he was an electrician uh who got zapped while he was working and he got these lightning powers 
and he so he used it to uh, turn to crime and uh, become a thief. Yeah, basically he just shoots out lightning. It's really hard for Spider-Man to fight him because he always uh, he, he always has to like remain in the air when he fights Electro because if he grounds himself then he gets electrocuted, which I think works scientifically. Mm. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the science behind. I've it. heard that as a thing about yeah, <laughs> if you can touch like electric wires, but if you're grounded at the same time, then you're fucked. Right. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go first. This character you could do almost anybody for it i didn't have like a specific like look i was going for i didn't have a specific really electro is even kind of like flat he's not there's no like super defining personality to him in my opinion really not even no just sinister he's yeah he's just he's just a bad guy who shoots lightning so i went with an actor who i think honestly could probably add something to electro particularly because he is on a kick-ass other uh, marvel tv show right now that he's doing fantastic and he has to like play a lot of different types a different different styles and so hopefully he could bring something different to electro and like make him actually interesting i went with dan stevens uh who was on the show oh. legion yeah so you know i think hopefully he could he could bring something to electro i like that pick a lot i know you i know you like legion a lot so i was hoping maybe you would you would appreciate that the first season i liked okay second season was was it was it was good, but yeah, I'm all about that first season of, of Legion. So yeah, I, I like that choice a lot because I think the key characteristic that that I was shooting for when casting Electro was like his gaunt appearance. I wanted somebody who looked was like really su- super lanky and uh, and just could look treacherous. So I like Dan Stevens because I know he he could pull the treacher, treacherous side off, and he he's just like he's he's a svelte looking motherfucker, you know. <laughs> I don't think you you want to cast somebody that looks like they could turn into lightning believably like you can't have you know mm-hmm. like a, a broad guy like the rock playing electro i don't think so yeah or a big tubbo or something yeah, that, <laughs> that right wouldn't work so uh along those lines i cast a gaunt looking motherfucker and went with <laughs> uh his name is dev patel and he was the guy oh, yeah. from slumdog millionaire and uh he was in the last airbender and in Chappie. do you get do you guys know who that is yeah I know who it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I I like him quite a bit. I think I might have even used him as a casting before. I think you did. But he's he's a really strong actor, so I like that. Yeah, and I think he plays Sinister pretty well. Given that there are no really other defining characteristics to the character, I thought he would work as well here as anybody else. Cool. I went basically with a probably an unknown, probably someone you guys have no idea who he is. Um, I based the look of all of my Sinister Six off of the original comic. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh like the so, Romita drawings? <laughs> yes. So my uh, Electro has the suit with the weird, like, five-pointed electric star for a mask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it really didn't matter who you put in there. Uh, this guy's only really been in one movie that I saw that I liked, and it's it's sort of a small part. But I, you know, thought he could probably work in this. I went with the guy uh, who was in, uh, actually, one of my favorite movies, Black Hawk Down, uh, and this guy named Johnny Strong. I'm looking him up now. Oh, yeah, look. Yeah. Another gut looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know what? He has a really good look. He's like, his face is so tall. I could totally see it working in that electro mask. In that mask, yeah. He is. Yeah, he does have a long, skinny kind of face. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I've never seen him in anything, I don't think. I did see Black Hawk Down, so I guess maybe I have seen him. But there's so many people in Black Hawk Down that it's, if you're not looking for him, he's going to be really easy to miss. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to Vulture. And, and I'm going to start with Vulture because, as I mentioned, I went with the original drawings as my inspiration. Mm-hmm. So uh, my Vulture looks like a creepy old guy. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> with with like feather wings, not like the mechanical one uh, that mm, you see later mm-hmm. and and in the movies and stuff. So I wanted somebody. I need somebody who had kind of like bird like features or kind of a weird looking face. Oddly enough, the first person I thought of for this was Harry Shearer. Oh, huh. He has the right. He has the right <laughs> facial. Like his face is the right shape. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think he's big enough, and and uh, I, ultimately I didn't end up going with him. But mm-hmm. I went with another guy who is a you know, much older actor. I'm not going to say that Harry Shearer is not a great actor because Harry Shearer is an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this guy has has been playing a bad guy in Westworld. I guess I picked another Westworld mm. alum. And he could probably take what looks like a silly character and at least make him somewhat menacing. And I went with Ed Harris. Yeah. I like that. For my creepy bird-like vulture, I thought Ed Harris would fit. Uh, he's actually one of the names I wrote down. Uh, I have about five names total. And Ed, Ed Harris was one of them. Okay. And I almost went with him. Um, he wasn't the first person I thought of. The first person I thought about was Tobey Maguire because he's about 103 years old and he <laughs> looks really, really old now. He'd be perfect for the vulture and that would be a good tie back. But no, I, I did a very similar thought process to you where I wanted I wanted the old man, yeah. like the old uh, Adrian Toomes. I actually, I actually originally put Tony Todd as vulture. <laughs> oh, that'd be a that'd be you have to have some strong fucking wings to lift Tony Todd. I, well, that's I ended up switching him because like looking at that looking at that vulture, I don't see a deep voice. I th- I see like a, a slightly higher yeah, voice, like a screech. So that's why I ended up yeah. switching it. Yeah, so I ended up switching him. Why I didn't end up picking Ed Harris was because I felt it would be very I don't know not that he would. He wouldn't have to look like Michael Keaton, but it would be played very similarly to Michael Keaton. Okay. Because they're they're actually around the same age. Mm. But Ed Harris has that better look. He's kind of got that baldish head that yeah. that Michael Keaton yeah. doesn't have. Or no, I guess it, Michael Keaton does have a bald head now. But I, I kind of went so, so I went similar. I went with an old old man. Uh, he's a little bit older actually than Ed Harris, and he's definitely he's even more gangly, and he's like tall and lanky and gangly, and that's kind of what I wanted to kind of match the classic vulture. So I went with a guy who has played multiple villains uh, in multiple films. I think maybe one of them was maybe an underworld film or knows maybe a Dracula. I can't remember, but also in the uh, pirates, of the Caribbean film, he played oh. Davy Jones. Oh. So he's used to some CGI. I mean, we most maybe love him as the guy from uh, love. Actually, yeah. you know, Billy Mac. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. But he has done a lot of villain roles, and I think he would be a kick-ass vulture. I went with Bill Nighy. I really like that call. That's I really choice. like that call. He he's a little um like how physical of an actor. I don't think I've ever seen him do any physical work. He's a little kind of isn't he frail a little bit? He's I mean he's a little frail, but like he has that look. I mean he has done like motion capture and stuff like that with Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of like the stunt work he actually did, mm-hmm. but let the production company buy him a new hip or something. But you know. <laughs> Have have him do it. If I could put Bill Nye's face on Ed Harris's body, I think that might be the perfect vulture right there. That okay, so that actually makes me think of something that's not related to this. Uh-huh. I don't know if you listen to this, but Adam, you have you listened to the the latest couple episodes of the Cinephiles where they talked about Jurassic Park? No, I, I haven't listened to them yet. I've saved them. Okay, but I haven't. So uh, I didn't realize this. So in the scene in Jurassic Park, towards the end, when the girl sort of falls out of the thing and and she they're holding they're holding her down. If you remember, it's like right towards the end. The little girl she falls through a screen and they're she's like hanging there and the raptors are below her like trying to grab her 
Yes, 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 yes. That's not her. It's another woman's body with her face put onto it. Right. The, oh, this, okay. The stunt double, Which, right? Yeah. But so I had no idea that that was even a CGI shot. I mean, other than other than I knew the other than I knew the Raptors were CGI. The ro- the room was real, but I thought that was really her. Like maybe they just put wires on her. But no, it was a completely. It was a stunt woman, mm-hmm. and the little girl's face was put onto her. It's weird when you know that and you see that scene though, because it it, it looks slightly creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Once, oh, once you yeah. know. Well, yeah, I mean, this, they did the same thing in Game of Thrones where it's not Cersei's naked body. That's not Lena Headey. Right. That's so. That's her head. I mean, granted, that's, you know, 2016 or something where technology is so much better than it was in 94. Right. Yeah. But it is it is very interesting when they do those kind of shots. So I also took a similar route where I wanted a, a much older actor for the role of Adrian Toomes. And uh, I wanted somebody who was like Clint Eastwood, who like kind of like that real like grumpy get off my lawn <laughs> type of character. Right. But I didn't want to cast Clint Eastwood. I ended up going with. Uh, someone who's younger than Clint Eastwood, but still has that kind of like real, uh, who could be real kind of sinister. And so I went with uh, Robert Patrick. Oh, who, who uh, was the T one thousand in yeah. Terminator Two? Sorry, I heard. I just uh, all I could think about was Robert Pattinson, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh no, no, I love that choice. Robert Patrick is fucking awesome, and yeah. he kind of has That's that cool. like that hawk nose kind of thing that I think would suit the character well. Yeah. I think we had good choices all around on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that was probably, I think, some of our strongest. Those are some three <laughs> strong-ass vultures. Very happy with that. Yeah. By the way, did you know that Robert Patrick's brother was the lead singer from the band Filter? Really? No. <laughs> so, you know, the song, Hey Man, Nice Shot. Hey Man, Nice Shot, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's uh, that's Robert Patrick's brother, who used to be a guitarist for Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. He left Nine Inch Nails to form Filter. Talented family. All right. So now we're on to, I guess, kind of our leader of the group, yep. if you'd call mm-hmm. him. Dr. Uh, Doc Ock, Dr. Octopus. I had a really hard time with this one. Adam, I kind of want to hear your pick first. Yeah, so I went with uh, an actor. I wanted somebody to kind of be more traditionally round, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to have a jacked Doc Ock. Alfred Molina did a fantastic job, as you mentioned before, yeah. but I didn't want to cast him. I wanted somebody who I thought, he's a little bit older, maybe he's too old, I don't know. And I would love to see if they could make a shitty bowl cut onto this actor. <laughs> And make it work. I don't know, uh, but he could definitely play like a smart, uh, smart scientist who goes bad. He's definitely round. The only thing is, he can definitely overact at times. If you saw Rogue One, this actor, the way I put it, he just forced Whitaker all over the place. <laughs> I went with Forrest Whitaker. I think he could be a pretty cool Doc Ock. <laughs> That's a, it's yeah. an interesting call. I, I, and I'm not going to say that's a bad call, but I think that's something I'd have to see to believe. So, mm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not yeah. saying he couldn't do it. You know, we've been surprised by performances before. It is an interesting call for sure. I do love Forrest Whitaker as an actor. I think one of the th- things about Dr. Octopus, though, is that he doesn't look like a villain. He doesn't look he doesn't look heroic. He doesn't look villainous. He, he looks like a big nerd, <laughs> but he is so imposing, you know, with these arms. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't th- I couldn't see Forrest Whitaker with those arms Uh but i think that's the appeal of it because once you put him on him and he starts (laughs) fucking shit up then you're like okay this is the dichotomy here is interesting i'm i'm plenty happy with that choice yeah i'll go ahead and jump in i'll let our guests have the last word on this one i know doc ock in the comics is from the united states yeah but in the animated series they put a little bit of an accent on him it doesn't sound like he's from the u.s 
So I actually, I kind of leaned into that and I made mine f- not from the U.S. I, I wanted him to be a little bit more more German. I went with a guy who's he's a great actor. Uh, he's not very big. He doesn't, he I, I, as you said, he doesn't look like a villain. Um, he looks like someone who would need octopus arms to be as strong as he is. Uh-huh. And I actually went with uh, Christoph Waltz. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a great villain actor. Would you would you get would you make him a little fatter or not? That was my. I'm question. really. I'm just. I care. I care about his fatness. Yeah. I want to see him just get huge for this. I think it would be great if he just if he just fucking ate everything for a period of six months. And if uh, Christian Bale can get huge to play um, Dick Cheney, I don't see why Christoph Waltz can't get round himself out a little bit to play Doc Ock. Yeah, he's uh, he's a hell of an actor. He's a hell of a villain actor too. And I kind of want. I want to see him back into some other like good villain roles because uh, I didn't love his villain role in uh, that latest that Bond movie that was meh. Oh yeah, it's Blofeld, yeah. But I like. I mean, he could definitely do it. He could definitely do it. So, not not bad, John. Okay, yeah. I'll I'd, I'll take that. <laughs> I'd want to see him gain like any like sixty to fifty pounds because he's he's a thin ass <laughs> guy. I want to see him gain that much weight, and then I want to see him you know grow his hair out and uh, do the bowl cut. Bowl cut. Yeah, 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 you gotta have the bull cut. I think he could do it. So I don't know if you guys are actually gonna like my choice for Otto Octavius. The the way I approached this was that this was going to be a Sinister Six movie. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at my list of actors, and it's a bunch of B list actors that I have here. So I wanted an A list star for the role and uh, someone who could really sell the film. So this actor, he's played few villains, although he's he typically p- plays the hero role. Uh, I cast Matt Damon for Oct- uh, Doctor Octopus. Matt Damon. Because he hasn't been in a whole lot of superhero f- movies or any really, except for cameos. Mm-hmm. But he got huge and villainous in a movie called Suburbicon that was directed by George Clooney that came out last year. He, I think he gained like 40 pounds for the role. And he had like these big giant like glasses on. And t- he was hmm. very much Dr. Octopus, I thought, in the movie. The only thing he was missing were the arms and the bull cut. <laughs> and I, I think it's... It's there's something innately hilarious about seeing a fat Matt Damon <laughs> that I just really love. And I, I can't put words as to why there's just a huge appeal there uh, to me. You know, I've been waiting to put Matt Damon into one of our Marvel castings, or yeah. one of our comic book castings. I haven't found one that I thought fit him. It's one of those things. I'll have to see it to believe it, but I'm not going to knock it. It sounds like there's already a role that might be proof of concept. I just haven't seen it. Oh, Suburbicon? Yeah. Yeah, so I would have to reserve judgment. And, it, you know, he's not a horrible actor, so... And, and he plays uh, kind of a... Not an evil character in that movie, but he basically plays this suburban dad who uh, gets caught in with a loan shark, and he has to, like, start killing the mob before they kill his family and shit. It, it was, like, a really dark physical role, despite, you know, he was he was a guy who was not in the best shape. But, yeah, that was the proof of concept for me. If you, like, Google the trailer or something I'm, like that... I'm looking at the you. pictures right now, and they... they... Seemed to be pretty fitting. You know, if you put a bowl cut on him instead, he would look pretty good as Doc Ock. That's what I was thinking. Matt, now that you went through it, I kind of do remember seeing the trailers for that movie, but I never did go see it. Yeah, I think all around, this is probably your best casting episode ever, yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah? Way better than uh, our casting of Dark Justice League, Justice League Dark, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's no Simon Pegg here. (laughs) No! No God damn! I wasn't going to bring that up. I wasn't going to bring it up, John. It was him, not me. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you guys. <laughs> Please join us next time for another album review episode. We take a look back at the Hootie and the Blowfish album, 
Cracked Rear View. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.